Hello and welcome to the CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. You can find me on Twitter at Bogman Sports. I am joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish. Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E, on the Twitter machine at CFB Winning Edge for Nick. Nick, are you enjoying bowl season so far? Uh, until just a few minutes ago, yeah, it was great. I, uh, <laughs> I think I've got something in my Christmas list, though, here, uh, you know, 10 hours before Santa Claus comes. So uh, all of a sudden, my microphone decided that it uh, no longer exists, apparently. So got to get that figured out, but uh, making do. But uh, as far as football goes, you know, some football uh, is better than no football. And we have had some football over the past week. So it's it's been fun to, to get to see some of these teams that sometimes fly under the radar a little bit more to actually focus on, you know, some of the G5 teams, some of the, uh, you know, it, it, that, that probably fall a little lower in my pecking order on a busy Saturday afternoon during the regular season. So it's good to see some of these teams up close and personal and, and uh, take a little closer look at a, you know, a Utah state or a Buffalo or Georgia Southern people like that. So yeah, on that note, it has been good. How about you guys? Xavier, yeah. How have you been enjoying the ball season? It's always fun to have football all day, every day. Um, you know, I'm on the West Coast, so I'm getting football as early as 11 a.m. There's nothing like eating bacon and watching football at the same time. <laughs> so uh, it's been it's been great for me. Uh, like Nick said, bowl, game, bowl season is always fun because you always get as much football as you can possibly handle on like a Tuesday and it's it's something that we don't we're not normally accustomed to, but we're not uh we're definitely like to have. So right, of course. Both seasons always been fun. Yeah, yeah. If the we, more football, the merrier. Yeah, if we can get football on a Tuesday, we'll take it. I mean, people miss action when it's gone. They they just want to watch something. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, it, it's been good. I mean, even even Nick, you know, I I. Uh, I, I feel like I caught him. I caught him watching the uh, the, the game between the Bills and the Pats the other day. So he's like, yeah, this uh, professional team up by where I live, I heard they're pretty good. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. They got, they got uniforms and everything. It's really great. Right, right. Yeah, they they have a decent following. They're okay, the Patriots. But, yeah, th- <laughs> this, uh, <laughs> this has been a fun, fun bowl season. So, uh, should we just dive right in on uh, reviewing these games here, Nick? Yeah, I think so. Um, the uh, yeah, we, uh, Buffalo and Charlotte. Buffalo uh, and Charlotte. This one I loved. Uh, Buffalo won thirty-one to nine because I had Jarrett Patterson in my bull bash. So my bull bash hasn't gone well outside of Jarrett Patterson, but uh, thirty-one to nine. They won, and Patterson put up 173 rushing yards on 32 carries and two scores. So uh, Buffalo just kind of rolled in this one, right, Nick? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Charlotte missed some opportunities early on. Uh, Our numbers were actually pretty – I saw a a decent edge towards Charlotte as far as the the point spread was concerned. Only had this as about a a two-and-a-half point uh, differential, but um, Buffalo came out, looked good early. Charlotte, some missed opportunities, uh, turned the ball over and, uh, you know, had a, had a, a fourth down opportunity that, that didn't work out. They just didn't look uh, – they looked more rusty than Buffalo did. Buffalo came out, didn't really show too many signs of, you know, an extra week or so of, of uh, rest. 
and, and Charlotte, for whatever reason, did built themselves a 17-point deficit in the first half. It was just too much to overcome. But uh, Charlotte overall was a, a really fun season, first bowl game for that uh, program as a whole. I think they've got a, a really bright future. Chris Reynolds at quarterback. Um, they uh, also landed a Mac transfer, Trey Harbison, at running back. So uh, they, they've got some pieces to build on for the future. Buffalo probably going to be – one of the Mac favorites next year. So pretty strong performance for them. Patterson, as you mentioned, has just been incredible. Second half of the season, one of the better running backs in uh, the G5. So uh, they're, they're going to be somebody to watch as far as uh, the back title next year should be uh, a contender, I would expect. Yeah, I mean, did you get to see uh, much of this game, Xavier? I did get to see the end of it. Um, so by that time, uh, Buffalo kind of had it in hand. Uh, but to what to an extent we kind of expected this uh we talked about last week how buffalo had been the better team down the stretch and how charlotte had really you know been sputtering down the stretch and you know had to really win some close ones and win some tight ones to even make a bowl game and it, uh most importantly we talked about how buffalo's offense down the stretch uh we ta- I talked about the last four to five games that they played before the bowl game they put up 40 plus points and that offense was working on all cylinders on uh against charlotte and that charlotte had really no answer for their run game uh and you know we kind of saw this coming so for me it wasn't too out of the ordinary but yeah it was a good win for buffalo yeah i mean this this was uh, a fun game the next one on friday though kent state and utah state now oh, that was fun yeah 51 <laughs> to 41 i now uh i gotta admit i didn't get to see much of this game at all so we were uh, the Welsh and I were recording our Christmas special, deck our balls over on our Patreon. And <laughs> it was uh, it's a lot of fun uh, we, for all, all of our Patreons. We have it up on Patreon now. It's 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 an enjoyable time. You guys would like it. But uh, Kent State wins fifty one forty one, and this was a game where I was kind of like, man, I, I don't like Utah State if they're going to be missing everybody. And then they said, no, 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 everybody's good to play. And I'm like, well, Josh Love's going to roll these guys and. Dustin Crum, I gave him way too little respect. He had 282, uh, 289 yards, two scores through the air, and 23 rushes for 147 yards, and a touchdown on the ground as well. Kent State just rolled, right, Nick? Yeah, and, and you know, early on, it it uh, it seemed like maybe Utah State was going to come in. They had a, a talent advantage. Uh, seemed like they, I mean, they, the first drive, they just went straight down the field, no problem, and you thought they're going to, just be able to do whatever they want on offense. And, and they did score 41 points. So it's not like Kent state really slowed them down all that much, but Utah state defensively just, just, you know, could not uh, keep crumb contained as you mentioned. And, and it's sort of interesting. I mean, Woody Barrett won the the quarterback job for Kent state, the Auburn transfer in fall camp. And, and, you know, a lot of people were really high on him. He's exciting, good runner. Uh, and and uh, seemed like he had a, a really bright future here but then in week two Dustin Crum gets the the starting nod and they sort of shared some playing time there the the next few weeks and eventually Crum just really sort of established himself and and I didn't see very much Kent State until you know that midweek action late in the season and quite honestly just just eyeballing it really wasn't super impressed with Crum he just he just he doesn't look that athletic, doesn't look that fluid, but the 
the production has been there. It's very consistent. I mean, you know, you got a guy putting up uh, almost 450 yards of total offense, and they just can't get him down, you know, in the in the running game. Uh, and he threw for 11 yards per pass, didn't throw an interception. He's had a great touchdown-to-interception ratio all year. So uh, somewhat perplexing to me, but he's just been – you know, he's been the better quarterback. He's been better than Woody Barrett. He, he proved himself, obviously, uh, in practice and to his team and that he's the guy. So uh, he's going to be somebody that that you need to watch in the MAC. He could be uh, one of the better quarterbacks in that conference next year. And, and this was uh, sort of a coming out party on a national stage for him. On the other side, Jordan Love, it, it, you know, it, he's declared for the NFL draft. Uh, this was, unfortunately, it, it seems our last opportunity to see him at the collegiate level. Selfishly, I would, I would, I think like to see him uh, maybe pursue a grad transfer that had been reported uh, before he did declare. But it, 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 you know, it sounds like this was it for him, and, and he had a decent game: three hundred yards, three touchdowns, did throw a pick, which, uh, if memory serves, was not his fault. I think it was something that hit. Um, you know, hit hit one of his receivers and, and uh, just fell, you know, uh, an unfortunate bounce. So uh, Utah State, they're not a, a team that our numbers were very high on coming into the season. We had them uh, as about a five-point favorite in this game. So we did, uh, this did go down as a win for us against the spread, but you know, Kent State to be able to come back 25 points in the fourth quarter to, to actually get a win, first bowl win, uh, great sign for them. Head coach Sean Lewis is uh, is an up-and-comer, somebody to keep an eye on for maybe, uh, uh, you know, take that next step in a year or two to, to maybe something like the American or, or uh, maybe a bigger uh, Conference USA or something like that sort of job. He, he could be a rising star maybe in this profession, young guy, really turned this offense around, really, in a lot of ways, turned this program around. Great win for Kent State. Yeah, a huge win for them, right, Xavier? Yeah, and, and you talk about the tale of two halves. It was, Really, Utah State dominated this ballgame to start off the game, um, or at least to start off, they really looked like the better team. They looked like they were going to go ahead and win it. And then the fourth quarter happened, and Kent State, everything worked. I mean everything. There is nothing that uh, Utah State could have done in the fourth quarter to help their cause. I mean, they had one fumble that probably changed the outcome of that ball game. Uh, to be frank, Utah State was driving again, was probably going to score and go up by another uh, three or four points and really put the pressure back on Kent State. They fumble um, in Kent State's side of the field. Kent State punches it in. And that pretty much tells uh, the story of that fourth quarter. Uh, Kent State put up 25 points in a quarter. I mean, that's not defense in any conference anywhere. That's not defense in high school. Um, it was just a, a poor performance from the Utah State defense in the second half. Uh, but kudos to Kent State getting it done. Uh, like Nick said, first bowl win. Um, it was nice to see Jordan Love out there. You know, the pick, you know, like Nick said, wasn't his fault. But he looked really good. Um, I'd like to see more from him and his legs. Uh, and, and as, you know, his uh, the senior bowl comes and uh, his pro day and the, and the combine come, We'll see more of him on the move, and uh, I think that can make his draft stock jump higher depending on how good he is as a dual-threat QB. Uh, but I, I like what I saw from Jordan Love. His draft stock definitely didn't take a hit because of, because of this game. Uh, but I digress. Kent State, good victory, um, and first bowl win, so that's always a good one too. 
I uh, despised the New Mexico Bowl because I picked uh, Central Michigan as one of my defenses in the Bowl Bash. And uh, San Diego State decided to find all the yards that they had been missing for the entire season. I don't think they had had over 350 yards in any games this year, and they had 510 in this game, including 223 rushing yards, and they put up 48 damn points. So uh, they controlled the clock 38 minutes to 22. Basically, it, it was just a... They just ran downhill all over Central Michigan, and it was not close. 139 yards for Bird, 51 in a score for Jasmine. Agnew had 287 yards and three touchdowns when he was questionable in this game, Nick. So how did you see this one going? Yeah, I mean, I, I am wrong a lot. I've gotten used to it. Uh, my <laughs> my goal, you know, to hit uh, against the spread on, on, you know, the best I could possibly hope for is – you know, in the low 50%, I mean, 50, 54, I would be ecstatic. So I'm, I'm, I'm wrong a lot, but this is about as wrong as I've ever been, uh, that, that, you know, is, is, uh, uh, that comes to mind. And, and, uh, these bowl games have a way, uh, you know, these sort of things happen. And, and because there's only one game at a time, I just have to sort of sit and stew about it. And this was one of those, games because uh like you had central michigan to win this game this was one where our numbers had uh the chippewas as the favored team we thought you know that the wrong team was favored here hadn't been impressed with san diego state much they were without juan washington you know some other guys were banged up but uh san diego state just came out and you know just just (laughs) <laughs> just did away with Central Michigan pretty easily. And and Ryan Agnew, the quarterback senior, uh, looked great. Jordan Bird, who uh, is one of the fastest players in all of college football. Uh, it looks like he's going to have an opportunity maybe to be, uh, you know, the next running back there at San Diego State. And he can do some very, very exciting things. As we saw, he broke off a 56-yarder. Uh, in this game, so am excited to, to uh, that we were able to see a little bit more of him, but also uh, a glimpse of perhaps what he could be here in the future. And, and the Aztecs, you know, they're they're not a bad team by any stretch. Obviously, this was their tenth win of the year. Uh, their defense has been uh, very very good all year. Has been very good for a long time. So shouldn't at all be shocked at what they were able to do to, to Central Michigan, but uh, it did, you know, was a, a big letdown by the way that Central Michigan came out in this game. And Quentin Dormandy, three interceptions, that's not the way you want to go out as a senior. Uh, only 6.3 yards per pass attempt. They shut down Jonathan Ward, 26 yards. Uh, just just Central Michigan couldn't get anything going. And, and really the only I mean, their only score came on a 66-yarder, so it was just one play, basically, uh, was really the only success that they had offensively. So, uh, big win for San Diego State. One thing, just on a side note, I don't know if I've seen this anywhere. Maybe I've just missed it. Maybe you guys know, or if somebody out there knows. what What is the deal with San Diego State's receiving, or their wide receiver jersey numbers? Why? Um, I didn't see it. Well, Jesse Matthews, who had 111 yards and two touchdowns, so he's, he's a redshirt freshman and a former walk-on, right? So, so I understand maybe you don't get first pick of the number. He's number 45, but then their top wide receiver for most of the year 
Kobe Smith is number 92. And then they've got they've got guys in the 30s, they've got guys in the 40s. Like what what I I don't understand. And I know Virginia does something weird where they do like a a draft and and so you know the lower guys on the depth chart get last pick of the numbers so you'll get somebody stuck with a, a weird number but I don't know. I, I feel like as a receiver, you know, you, you want to look good and just look at number 45 is just an ugly number. Isn't it? We found a pet yeah. peeve. It's funny because it yeah, yeah, the yeah. Welsh, the Welsh hates it too. Like if you're, uh, <laughs> if you're not an 80 or like a, uh, you know, a 10 somewhere in the tens in the teens, mm-hmm. he just despises anything like that. Or like, he also hates running backs that have like you know start with forty something. He's like, no, running backs should be in the twenties or thirties. Fullbacks yeah, if, can be forties, but other than that, no. 40s. Exactly. If you're not a if you're not a linebacker or a fullback, the forties are just ugly. Yeah, I tell run. you what what sticks out for me is Mark Barron on the Steelers because you know I'm a huge Steelers fan, so I watch all the games. He's he's number twenty six and he only plays linebacker. And I know he's kind of a hybrid guy. He was drafted as a safety and all that stuff, but he doesn't play safety. He plays linebacker and he's number twenty six. First of all, that's Rod Woodson's number. And uh second of all, why is he wearing a twenties when he's playing linebacker in the NFL? So it just it bothers me. Well, doesn't Minka wear thirty nine? <laughs> yeah, Minka wears thirty nine. Yeah. That's gross too. Uh, see, but Darren Perry played with number 39 forever. So he was 39 and Carnell Lake was 37 forever. So, like, I can deal with 39 at safety. That doesn't bother yeah. me. But 26 at linebacker does, you know. So, yeah, in college, like as a receiver, you want a single digit, you know, maybe a teens. You almost feel uh, kind of like you get stuck with a, a number in the 80s in college. But, <laughs> but, I would take that no problem at, at San Diego State because if I, you know, I don't want to be number forty-five. What? What? Uh, I, <laughs> I love it. I love it Maybe that he we like Michael Jordan. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that could be it. I, I love that we found something that annoyed Nick there. Really so. annoys me. Uh, that was, that, that, that and microphone's not working. Of course. <laughs> um, did you have anything to add on the New Mexico Bowl, Xavier? No, not really. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, San Diego State. Impressed me offensively. Uh, we talked about how the fact that they had only put up, I think, 30 points or 30 plus points twice all season, and they had won most of their games by a single possession. Uh, but I don't think in that we highlighted their defense enough. Uh, their defense really came out to play and, and really shut down a Central Michigan offense that had been rolling. Um, and, the, and the offense clicked for uh, San Diego State, and that was something that I didn't expect to see, but a good win for the Aztecs. Uh, I didn't expect to see Liberty win a bowl game. Uh, even <sighs> in the Cure brilliant. Bowl, going up against Georgia Southern, uh, they yes. win 23-16. to 16. Um, I-, I was surprised by this outcome, Nick. Were you surprised that Liberty won? Uh, yes and no. And, and so our numbers had Georgia Southern favored, but we did have Liberty covering so uh we we you know you as a as a cff guy know liberty's got some offensive potential and, right. and uh stephen caliber frankie hickson antonio gandy golden who's uh potentially you know a guy that that probably some nfl uh talent evaluators are, are maybe buzzing about a little bit so uh, we knew they had potential there but yeah i i, I agree that georgia southern uh, it was a it was a surprising performance. I did not expect that they weren't going to be able to get the running game going. They only averaged 4.2 yards per carry, and that included 
a Wesley Kennedy 40 yard, you know, one of his patented 40 yard runs at this point. I, I am a little surprised that they can only seem to get him the ball, you know, yeah. 10 or 12 times. Per game. I had <laughs> him in the, I had him in the ball bash too. <laughs> damn it. Why did he only get nine carries? Stupid. <laughs> so yeah, he, he's been a very explosive player for them. And, and, you know, he, he has broken off several big runs for them in the second half of the year. So uh, he's somebody that I think they, they are going to have to try to get the ball to more in 2020. And and fortunately, Shy Wirtz is coming back. Kennedy's coming back. J.D. King, the uh, Oklahoma State transfer, who only had 28 yards on 10 carries, is, I think, going to be back. So Georgia Southern, a lot of their offense – uh, unfortunately, it wasn't able to get going in this game. It was a little messy, was rainy. Uh, but, you know, that, that's not really an excuse for uh, a team that relies so heavily on the run. So it was surprising, a surprising performance for them. And, and for the most part, they didn't, uh, you know, Liberty, uh, they, they got some yardage. I mean, Calvert threw for 270, Hickson ran for 120, uh, but they weren't just huge uh, uh, totals and and so Georgia Southern and and kept him off the the you know kept him out of the end zone a lot of the day as well so uh, a little bit surprised that that the Eagles just weren't able to get going offensively uh, but the overall you know just just sort of grand scheme I'm not shocked that Liberty won uh, but did expect Georgia Southern to win so uh, a little bit disappointing from that perspective. Yeah, Xavier, what what did you see in the the Cure Bowl here? Well, first and foremost, what I saw, I think, was the fact that Georgia Southern secondary really was their Achilles heel in this ballgame. Liberty attacked it early. Their first touchdown was a blown coverage right up the middle of the field. Um, and that's something that's always kind of been a problem for Georgia Southern. Uh, they, they never seem to get enough talent or, I don't know, maybe it's coaching in, in the secondary to, to hold teams when they need to. Um I was a little shocked that they couldn't get the run game going. I thought I expected them to do so, and especially when I saw that it was raining. I was like, okay, this is Georgia Southern's game to lose now. Uh, this is exactly what they wanted, a rain, a rainy day where they can uh, you know, pound the defense and, and keep the ball out of Liberty's hands. But they couldn't get it going, and I was, I, I was shocked. Uh, they are, fun fact, they are the first Georgia team to lose on that field uh, from Atlanta United and Georgia State. So uh, that's fun. Uh, you know, that, that was a point of contention for all Georgia State fans on Twitter after that ballgame, uh, State not Southern. Uh, but, yeah, I was, I, was, I was shocked a little bit that they, couldn't, that they couldn't muster more points against a Liberty team that has been known to give up points this year. Um, and so, good win for Liberty, though. I, I didn't see it coming, so I have, I have very little to say on it. But, no, really good win for Liberty. Yeah, I mean, impressive win for Liberty. The one game they play defense the entire year is <laughs> So, really happy for them. Uh, the Boca Raton Bowl, uh, I didn't see this coming at all, but uh, Florida Atlantic just beat the crap out of SMU 52-28. to This was not particularly a, a close game, 31st down for Florida Atlantic. This looked like, uh, this looked like their uh, championship game that they played, uh, the Conference USA Championship game against UAB, where the offense just kept pouring it on and on and on and on and you know, um, Robeson, 305 yards and two scores. Emmons, 72 yards. Uh, Robeson also um, had 78 yards. Or Robinson had 78 yards receiving. Rain caught a touchdown. Posey caught a touchdown. Great game for them. Shane Bouchelle threw for 303, but uh, threw a pick. Um, 
Freeman only could muster up 52 yards. Uh, Prochet had nine for 86 in a score, so not bad on the SMU side. They just couldn't match those scores from Florida Atlantic, Nick. Absolutely. And, and aside perhaps from the San Diego State performance, this was the one that I just didn't see coming. And, and uh, we've been really high on SMU. The numbers have all year. We talked last week about how, uh, from a roster strength standpoint, this is a top 25 team. They, they had a, a huge influx of talent from the transfer portal, and it, and it really worked for them. And they talked about this during the broadcast, but it's sort of a unique situation with SMU because being in Dallas and so many high school players come from Dallas and then go elsewhere, it might not work out. So they'll have an opportunity now to, to come back to sort of the hometown team. And, and that I think is, is a little bit more of a uh, sustainable formula for dipping into that transfer portal than a lot of uh, other programs maybe are, are able to do. It's going to be uh, maybe something that, that they really are able to, to draw on and, and uh, isn't necessarily a situation where a guy just, uh, you know, isn't somebody you can count on or, or anything like that. But uh, all that being said, SMU just just did not you know, show up really honestly in, in, the, in the first half of this, this game and Florida Atlantic did. And, and it's, you know, we, we touched on it briefly where it's sort of dangerous to uh, think about, OK, who's motivated for this bowl game and, and stuff like that, because you can't really rely on it. You don't know who it's going to be. And, and probably if you were going to to pick you know one side or the other, you would expect FAU might come out a little bit flat because, you know, they're playing on their home uh, field, which, you know, Generally, you think, okay, home field advantage, but then on the other hand, a bowl game is supposed to be a reward. You want to go you know, somewhere new and exciting and all that sort of stuff. They didn't get that experience. Plus, they had about half a dozen uh, either starters or, or key contributors not play in this game, whether they were uh, – they had you know, a couple of guys running back have been banged up recently, and I know uh, one wasn't able to play as a result. Uh, their top tight end, the, the top tight end in the country – uh, sat out this game. He had been, uh, I think, a little bit banged up, but also has an NFL uh, future as well. And, and then they had some other guys with some academic issues that they weren't able to play. So uh, this number, after we talked about it, you know, it was a three-point spread had jumped up into the seven or eight points by kickoff. And so, you know, I, I was feeling pretty good because we had a pretty big edge on this in, in SMU's favor. But FAU just came out and, like you said, offensively, totally explosive. Defensively, they shut down the SMU running game. Very, very impressive performance. Uh, there's there's a chance here now. This is an 11-win team. Maybe FAU can, can sneak into that. Uh, AP top 25 and finish with a national ranking for the first time would be a big achievement for that program and, and a pretty good starting point for Willie Taggart to take over in 2020. Yeah, I was going to say just in time for Lane Kiffin to leave. So uh, <laughs> Willie Taggart to mess it up. Right, <laughs> right. I can't imagine he messes this one up. This has nah, got to be. Nah. Yeah, I, I think this is in his wheelhouse here. But uh, were you surprised by the drubbing that Florida Atlantic uh, laid here on SMU? Not as. Not as much as I, I thought I would be, because when I look back at SMU's defense, they haven't performed all that great all year. You know, we, we, they gave up 40 plus to an Eastern Carolina team that 
had no business being on the same field as them. They've given up 40-plus many times this season. Uh, they did the same to Tulsa, which was not all that great of a team this year either. Um, and with that being the case, you know, it's not surprising that the SMU defense didn't show up. Now, I did not expect that the SMU offense would have such a terrible day of it. But Nick did bring up a point that um, may have had something to do with it. First off, they were playing at home. Florida Atlantic was. And I know that, like, a bowl game is supposed to be the reward. But, like, nobody's going to come to my house and beat me on national television either. Um, and so there also has to be said something for that, to watch a bowl game, act to, to have the same routine that you always have. You know, you wake up in the same bed. You go to the same facilities. You know, your mom and dads are in the stands watching the, the same place that they have all year. There has to be said that that goes in to a game like this and a performance like this from Florida Atlantic. Also, I think a lot of people, they heard the news. A lot of people probably didn't have them winning because they lost lane. Um, and they probably heard the rumblings and, and they wanted to show everybody in the country that they were still capable of putting up good uh, a good performance against a good team. And they came out and did that. Um, you know, outside of their kicking game, Florida Atlantic ball. Um, and so kudos to them. And, and like we said, uh, this is a great start for Willie Taggart. Uh, to come in with this program um, at the probably its highest peak ever uh, and, and go from there. So, Yeah, uh, I mean, FAU, uh, at least like you said, Willie Taggart is inheriting a good program, so he shouldn't have to change over too much. It's not like what he got when he was handed the reins of Florida State. Uh, the Camilla Bull, Nick, uh, another one that I just didn't pick right, 34 to 26. <laughs> Arkansas State wins over FIU. I, I was really surprised that FIU ranked six in the nation in stopping the pass coming into this game, and they almost gave up 400 passing yards, 393 and four scores to Lane Hatcher. Omar Bayless um, out with a bang here, nine catches, 180 and a touchdown. Adams had a score. Merritt had a score. Tyler had a score. And, you know, it was like the Oprah meme. You get a score. You get a score. And then Arkansas State, who's been bad defensively, uh, they weren't good against the pass. They gave up 312 yards, but they did have two picks. They had the splash plays. But they held um, Napoleon Maxwell to only 66 yards. And um, they held Jones, who, of course, I had in the bull bash because Arkansas State is not good at stopping the run. And he had 21 carries for only 65 yards, a 3.1 average. So, uh, Maloney went off for 10 for 178 in the score for FIU. But other than that, disappointing game for them. And Arkansas State comes away a winner. Absolutely. And, and yeah, this is yet another that uh, uh, <laughs> I was incorrect on. Uh, at this point, straight up, our numbers were one and five. Yes. Just in who, who's going to win the game? Right. One and five. So uh, this was our second where we thought the wrong team was favored where we were wrong. And, and this year, uh, that number had been hitting about 56% against the spread, something we really, really are proud of. But hey, you know, sometimes it, 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 you have a, a bit of a bad run. And, and uh, this uh, was one of those for us. I thought we were going to be able to, to sneak in the back door. But uh, Arkansas State, uh, as you mentioned, the defense rose up, was able to, to keep FIU at bay so uh weren't weren't able to do it came up short in this one and and i was uh not not at all surprised uh it, it, you know this time last week if you showed me this box score it would not shock me at all but having watched the game and saw how hard it was raining for most of that game seeing arkansas state put up almost 400 yards through the air 
it's pretty impressive. And, and you know, they do, uh, you know, it's, it's not like they were just uh, throwing downfield all game. They've got one of the better uh, receiving cores, uh, at least from a, a G5 perspective in the country. Uh, so those guys can take a, a short pass and, and break a tackle and, and go. And Omar Bayless is, is certainly one of the most fun receivers to watch in the country. So uh, to see his numbers, not, not a shock at all, but that they were able to, to have this much success through the air in some really sloppy, messy conditions uh, is a little bit surprising. But, uh, uh, you, yeah, you, you wrapped it up quite well. I mean, FIU just couldn't get it going on the ground. James Morgan had some success through the air, but the two picks uh, were, were, you know, were killers. And, yeah. and so uh, Arkansas State, great for them to, to finish on a high note. Head coach Blake Anderson's been through some just – a uh, horrific tragedy this year and and so really feel good for for him to end uh on a winning note here and and to see his players celebrate with him uh was was great and uh to send off a guy like uh omar bayless who's, who's just really uh you know made himself some money this year and, and this performance is only going to help so a uh, great win for them and uh, a nice you know another winning year for the red wolves and uh, congratulations were you surprised that Arkansas State was uh, able to win this battle between good passing defense versus good passing offense, Xavier? Well, I, I brought that up when we covered the game last week when we previewed it, uh, and, I, and I and I brought the question up: Did I feel like FIU's defense was bolstered a little bit by the conference that they were in? Um, and to an extent, yeah. I think that they played a passing attack that they had not seen all year. I mean, we talked about how many good receivers and, and Omar Bayless is for a college receiver. Great. Um, and how deep that Arkansas state receiving core is. And, and I felt like FIU had not played anybody with this kind of team yet. Um, and watching them in person and watching them very closely as they're a Sunbelt team, Arkansas state did exactly what I thought they would do. They ran the ball when they, uh, when you thought they would pass, but ultimately they would come back to the quarterback and those receivers to make plays. And that's exactly what they did. Um, gosh, Omar Bayless is going to be such a good uh, pickup for somebody in the NFL. And I hope he explodes in the combine and on his pro day. Cause I think he is a guy who can go in rounds, uh, you know, three or four, but can go as high as two if he has a good enough uh, combine. Uh, but Arkansas state did what I thought they would. They passed the football around the yard um, you know, it, it actually is sickening sometimes how many times they're able to just throw the ball up there and they're able to go get it. So kudos to Arkansas State for a big win. Nick hit it right on the head uh, after, you know, all the tragedy that that coach has gone through for him to end the year on a high note and for the players to end the year on a high note as well for him. It's always great to see. Um, and that's what we, that's why we love bowls. That is why we love bowl season. So now kudos to Arkansas State. Now, the Las Vegas Bowl and New Orleans Bowl went the ways we thought they were going to go here. Hey, we got one. Yeah, yeah. Washington <laughs> wins 38-7. to uh, I didn't know it was going to go this bad for Boise State. Yeah. They did not look good. Um, and Washington just, uh, yeah, they sent out Peterson with a bang here, right? Absolutely. And, and uh, it was a good win and, and perhaps in a lot of ways a sign of what we could expect from Washington Washington moving forward. I mean, Jimmy Lake, the defensive coordinator, taking over as head coach. This was a terrific defensive performance. Uh, they made Hank Bachmeyer look pretty bad most of the day, and and he was a bit rusty. He'd been banged up early in the year, hadn't hadn't started since about mid season. And then Jalen Henderson, who really kind of gave 
Boise State a, a shot in the arm late in the year as you know he started as the third string quarterback but came out uh, senior fifth year senior former uh, a transfer and and uh, unfortunately he uh, had an illness leading up to the game and and you know wasn't able to start uh, I'd seen some rumblings that you know maybe wasn't maybe that wasn't why he started that that for whatever reason the coaching staff decided Bachmeyer was the guy they wanted to go with but you know however it worked out was a bit unfortunate. Neither neither guy could get going. Uh, passing, I mean, they averaged uh, fewer than five yards per attempt, both of them, and, and the running game, they just they really couldn't get going. Boise State had been, you know, a, a really solid team all year uh, on both sides of the football, but just offensively could not get going in this game. Defensively, they they did some good things. I mean, they Washington has a deep running back core, uh, Salvin Ahmed is, is one of the most exciting running backs that you can watch, but he's, he's splitting time with Richard Newton, who is uh, more of a, a bruiser type guy, uh, got the bulk of the carries in this game. And, and all those guys are, are expected to come back. Not sure if we saw the last of Jacob Eason or not. And uh, that's, that's going to be, you know, the key uh, storyline for the offseason until we know for sure whether or not he's coming back. And, and if he does decide to come back, it's going to be a key uh, storyline moving into next year because a lot of uh, his top receivers are, are going to be gone. So uh, certainly something to watch uh, moving forward. But uh, if this is the type of defense that we can expect to see moving on, Washington's uh, got a good chance to rebound, I think, next year. Great win, great way to send off Chris Peterson and, and a good springboard uh, to begin the Jimmy Lake era for sure. Yeah, and did you see pretty much the same stuff there, Xavier? Yeah, I, what I will say is that for Boise State, this was just not a great, good performance. I mean, this you expected them to lose um, because I felt Washington was a team that underperformed this year, and I expected them to come out here with a bang. But for a team to be 12-1 and one coming into a bowl game, maybe it was the fact that they felt cheated that they weren't in a higher bowl. Maybe. Um, but that's just you know, looking for excuses. Washington came out there and had a point to prove, um, and they did so. Um, so big win for them. The way that they did it, too, was um, a little surprising for me on the ground. You know, they, they punished uh, Boise State for the most part, and, and Eason really had a a, a game manager type game. He just didn't make any mistakes. They they continued to pound the rock. Uh, three of their five touchdowns coming off the, uh, coming on the ground. And so yeah, good win for Washington. Nice send off for Peterson. And I'm really really looking forward to this Washington team next season. They are definitely going to be in my top two or three in the Pac-12, especially just uh, what happens with uh, Oregon and their quarterback situation. So yeah, and I think Eason could affect that too if he comes back. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Obviously, Washington will be ranked higher. But then we have uh, the last one on Saturday was the New Orleans Bowl, where I was very happy with this result because I I picked, uh, you know, I picked Central Michigan and their defense netted me negative eight points. But I also <laughs> picked UAB, who scored me, uh, I believe it was 28 points. So between both of them, at least I got 20 uh, points. But uh, 31 to 17, they beat UAB. Uh, UAB, uh, better performance than they had in the Conference USA Championship game here, but still not good enough to beat uh, a tough App State team, right, Nick? Yeah, that's right. And, and they, they came out strong. I mean, uh, went up quick, 14 to nothing, and, and for, for a minute there, really thought App State was, was in trouble. But uh, 
things things settled down and, and Appalachian State was able to just sort of wear down UAB. And, and we mentioned it uh, last week that, that UAB, uh, perhaps their record was a little bit misleading and, and in the Conference USA title game was, uh, you know, exposed them for the, the week schedule that they had played. Uh, but they've got some some nice pieces i mean tyler johnston uh is a solid quarterback prospect and and it was good to see him uh healthier i think than he had been in a while he missed a few games in the second half of the season spencer brown had also been banged up the running back he didn't really uh get loose in in this game only 39 yards but uh he's another talented player and and really just sort of looking ahead at, at uab this was one of the, the youngest teams in the country coming into this season. They're probably going to be one of the most experienced teams in the country next year. So, uh, you know, if, if this sort of narrative uh, builds, oh, UAB, they only won nine games because, you know, the week schedule, blah, 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 blah. It's, you know, there's the potential maybe they're sort of a, an underrated team looking ahead to next year. So uh, just just something to, to keep an eye on. But App State, uh huge huge season i mean they're going to finish ranked uh for the first time in in fbs history 13 wins incredible uh the only thing really to 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 watch you know the the head coaching transition is certainly a thing but this team looked you know sean clark looked like it was a going to be a smooth transition and uh they they if they play like they did in in the bowl game uh, next year, things are going to be just fine. That's going to be another uh, championship caliber team in the Sun Belt in 2020. Really, the only other question is Darrington Evans. Is he going to jump uh, after uh, an explosive junior year? Uh, former receiver uh, recruit was uh, pressed into duty at running back uh, late last year when their their uh, number one guy went down, and, and he's just been uh, really one of the better group of five running backs in the country. So he might have an opportunity to turn pro early. If not, App State has a, uh, an opportunity to be just as dominant next year, I think. He's had some injury issues too. So uh, I th- it'd probably be smart for him to go. Uh, Xavier, what do you see in the New Orleans Bowl here? Well, for me, it was one of those situations where I felt that App State would come out flat. Um, I felt that they thought that they were better than the New Orleans Bowl. Um and I heard some rumblings throughout the Sun Belt, feeling the kind of the same sentiments that, you know, UAB had an opportunity because App State may come out flat in this game. And that's kind of what happened to start off. Uh, UAB's defense was able to, to stifle App State in the first quarter. Um, and they hit him for some big plays. It was 14-3, to I believe, uh, midway point through the second quarter. Um, App State, obviously, then from there kind of took off. Uh, but, you know, this is an App State team that has been impressive all season, um, and they've done it both offensively and defensively, and they showed that in this game. Uh, you know, the, the defense did enough to keep UAB from from blowing the game wide open in the first half. And uh, then the offense, you know, after finally waking up, you know, exploded in the second. Um, and this App State team, is this has got to be one of the best teams that they've had in a while. Um, definitely got to be at least top two or three teams that I've seen from App State. Uh, but impressive win. Uh, UAB for me is a team on the rise. Um, and you can't take the last two games as an indication of their entire season. I think that'd be an, uh, unjust for them. Uh, but App State handled business, um, in the dome and, uh, they got the job done. So good win for App State and a good finish to a season, uh, where they finished 13 and one. So always impressive. And the last bowl that we have to go over before we get to the bowls that are upcoming here, 
uh, the Gasparilla Bad Boy for Life Motors Bowl, whatever, <laughs> however you call it. I don't, I don't know. It's got okay. like eight names. So, but UCF pounds Marshall, forty-eight to twenty-five. Mm-hmm. This might have been the ugliest game I saw all season. Uh, turnovers. The weather looked crappy. It looked like one of those games where it rained all day the day before, and then you're playing on that gross, sloppy track for the entire game. Um, not sure if that's what happened, but what I saw while I was recording a bunch of stuff is, you know, it looks sloppy and, uh, it played sloppy too. I mean, UCF wound up with five, uh, turnovers in their favor. They scored twice on defense, uh, just, uh, a good game for them specifically defensively, but both teams were getting, uh, a decent amount too. I mean, uh, Marshall returned a 75 yard touchdown as well. So this game, um, just an ugly but uh, convincing victory for UCF, forty-eight to twenty-five. Right, Nick? Absolutely, and and yeah, you you didn't really have to watch this game with the sound on to <laughs> to understand what was what was going on. It was sloppy conditions, and and UCF came out on the the right end of of that sloppiness. I mean, Marshall had four fumbles. Uh, they lost three of those. UCF fumbled twice, didn't lose one. So a little bit of turnover luck on, on that end. Uh, but Marshall, as you mentioned, was able to, to score on defense as well. So uh, kind of a wild first half, and, and it looked like UCF was just going to uh, completely, you know, just, just dominate all day. But Marshall, you know, give him credit, came back, got a little bit of a spark with that uh, interception return for a touchdown in the second quarter. And then in the, uh, you know, in the early third quarter showed some life. It looked like they were going to be able to, to get back in. They, they uh, closed the gap to two scores, uh, but UCF was just, uh, you know, too too far ahead, too much, too big of a, a hill to climb there for Marshall. So uh, good win for the Knights. Uh, and and as you can tell, I, already I'm, I'm looking ahead to 2020. That's what uh, sort of my eyes are on watching these bowl games and, and UCF is going to be a, a force to be reckoned with. They're most likely, uh, I, I think it's it's almost certain they're going to be uh, the highest rated G5 team in the preseason, according to our numbers. There's a slight chance Boise State could get there, but they're going to lose uh, most likely their uh, just stud junior pass rusher, uh, Curtis Weaver is probably going to turn pro early, and, and uh, they've got some other losses as well. UCF, they're, they're losing a few guys, but you know Dylan Gabriel coming back, true freshman quarterback, is is uh, a lot of fun to watch. They've got you know more running backs. <laughs> Just Adrian Killens was was sitting out this game, but you know guess what? Here comes Greg McRae and Otis Anderson and Pentavious Thompson. I mean they they've got running backs all over the place. They're you know. Uh, not just Gabriel. I mean, Daryl Mack got some time in this, and, and Mackenzie Milton's still on the roster. Hopefully, he'll be mm-hmm. uh, healthy enough to play uh, in 2020. And, and if he's, uh, you know, he is uh, a UCF graduate at this point, so perhaps he might uh, have a, a an opportunity to go somewhere else if he were to to choose to do that. So, uh, if not, I mean. You, you know th- this team is is going to be loaded, and and they've got some hill some holes to fill defensively. But UCF defensively was incredible this year. Coaching staffs coming back, and and all of that. So uh, really exciting future for UCF. Marshall was a, a tough way 
to end the season, but they've got a lot coming back as well. So uh, especially on offense. So certainly something they can build on probably going to be a conference USA title contender uh, next year. But uh, UCF is probably your odds on favorite to be the uh, new year six representative next year. Yeah. I mean, this was a fun game and UCF uh, Xavier kind of felt like they reestablished their dominance, right? Yeah. And, and, and what would obviously be considered a down year for the Knights, they ended it off with a bang. And I think that you're absolutely right. They, they reestablished a little bit of order um, and, and kind of gave a, a future look at what the team will be next year. And, and as Nick said, you know, they're going to be one of the best G5 teams in the country, if not the best. Uh, and this team we saw this year go through some highs and lows. Um, but most importantly, they're going to get their leader back next year, even if he's not 100% healthy uh, and, and, you know, even loses the QB battle. Mackenzie Milton will be back next year. And, and, and for us, as college football fans, that's always going to be fun to see. I think UCF next year has, you know, all the capabilities to to run the table again um, and, and really put themselves back at the top of the conference that, you know, they probably feel like they should have still been at this year. Um, losing every game that they've lost this year was by uh, one possession or fewer. And, and they probably feel like they missed out on a couple of chances to to repeat again. Uh, so they're definitely going to want to get back to the top of the mountain next season. And watching that bowl game was a good indication of what they'll be next year. Now we will cover the uh, we'll cover the uh, Hawaii Bowl when we get to that uh, next week. But we've got 24 bowl games to go over before our next show. Nick, I mean, are you prepared to lightning <laughs> round for this, or is this going to be I a will, nine hour podcast? I will do my very best. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Xavier, you know what to do. Ready. You know what to do. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. so let's start out. It's the Independence Bowl. This one should be a great one. It's the the Hurricanes against Louisiana Tech. The Hurricanes are favored by six. The over is fifty. Uh I think this is gonna be a real fun bowl the day after Christmas, Nick. Yeah, and, and uh, this is a, a an interesting matchup. Miami traditionally has been very bad, or at least in recent memory, very bad in bowl games. And, and this Miami team uh, sputtered to the end again. And, and just, you know, there's some negativity surrounding this program. Manny Diaz in his first year as head coach has is, is, uh, had some growing pains. And, and they've got a lot of guys sitting out this game in preparation. I count four. Uh, Jeff Thomas, the receiver, a couple of defensive ends, and then uh, Michael Pinckney, a linebacker. Uh, all those guys sitting out in preparation for the NFL draft. Uh, Diaz won't name his starting quarterback. We don't know if it's going to be Jaron Williams or Nikosi Perry. I've seen uh, some rumblings that Tate Martell's back in the mix. So oh, who knows? What- That's all crap. <laughs> He's not. Who- who knows what to what to think? So, uh, all that said, Miami has a huge talent advantage in this game, and, and Louisiana Tech is a top fifty team as far as roster strength goes. Uh, they do have a talented quarterback, Jamar Smith. They've got uh, some good guys at, at running back. They've got one of the best cornerbacks in all of. Uh, college football junior Mick Robertson, who has declared for the NFL draft. And and I haven't heard 100%. I've seen some things that said he was going to sit out, but then I don't know if that's official. So if, if we have seen the last of, uh, of him, you know, that that's uh, unfortunate because he's been uh, incredible to watch an all American guy. And then uh, uh, it's going to be 
a pretty high draft pick, I would have to think. So would like to see him go up against some of these uh, talented receivers that Miami has on hand. But uh, if, if he if that's it for him, then, you know, best of luck to him in, in the future. So uh, I was a little bit surprised that our numbers actually, the way they shook out, had this so close. We, we have this as a virtual toss-up. And, and uh, I have seen, you know, a lot of analysts and, and things like that are sort of on the side of Louisiana Tech here. Uh, that surprises me a little bit because, like I said, Miami, just from a pure talent standpoint, has a huge edge. But, you know, that seems to always be the case at Miami. And, and uh, as far as our team strength numbers go, Miami ranks 47th. Louisiana Tech is 50th. Uh, they have lost a couple of games. I mean, they're nine and three, uh, but those two losses that they had in Conference USA play uh, were when there was a sort of a, uh, a an odd suspension situation where they had three starters that were uh, forced to sit out, including uh, Smith at quarterback and their their uh, most talented wide receiver as well. So I think Louisiana Tech has a, a chance to win this. You know, Independence Bowl when you're going to Miami, uh, uh, that's not really what you're shooting for, and and it. It, you have to think that there's, you know, if motivation were a factor, and I never try to take that in really to to account with my predictions. But I think in this case, if you're looking for a team that's not really motivated, it's probably Miami. So I feel pretty comfortable. This is going to be a close game. Do have the Hurricanes winning uh, 21 to 20. So Louisiana Tech, a chance to win there, pull off a, an upset and, and maybe get to 10 wins uh, would be a huge black eye to Miami if that were the case. And they were to finish with a losing record. So do expect them to, to squeak out a, a win here, but uh, don't expect it to be a, a, a great performance uh, for them. Who do you have in that game, Xavier? Go ahead and give Miami that black eye. I'm going with Louisiana Tech. <laughs> Miami's offense strikes no fear into any opponent that they've played all year. They've only put up 30-plus points in two out of the 12 games that they've played all season. And the last time they put up 30-plus points was October 5th. So Louisiana Tech, I'm going to go with them all the way. Their offense is better. The defense has played better down the stretch. Um, and they beat FIU, a team Miami struggled with and lost to um, three days before Thanksgiving. So I'm going to go with uh, Louisiana Tech with the upset. I think that Miami, after getting embarrassed by FIU earlier this year, I think they're going to get back on track. So uh, I'm going to go with Miami here, but I I have like, if we're putting confidence points on it, I would put it at like two. Uh, There's no way I would be very confident in this game. Bigger line in the quick lane bowl here, Nick, Uh, Pittsburgh and Eastern Michigan. Pitt is an 11 point favorite. Uh, The over is 49 here. I I feel like that over is a touch high um, for a game like this. Both these teams play pretty decent defense. Uh, but specifically Pitt, I think Pitt rolls in this one. How do you see this one uh, playing out? Well, our numbers agree that, that the number, the, the total is a, uh, a touch high. We have it as one point too high. Have Pitt uh, projected to win 28 to 20. Uh, this is another huge talent edge. I mean, Pitt is a top 40 roster. According to our numbers, Eastern Michigan is in triple digits, but uh, the Eagles have a, a you know, have some some nice pieces. They've got uh, Shaq Van, the the running back is quite good. Mike Glass, the third, is an exciting dual threat quarterback. And and you know, Pitt 
for for that talent edge, uh, they don't always show it. Um, at receiver, they they do have some really really nice options. Maurice French is is uh, one of the more productive receivers in the ACC. We've seen some good things out of Tasir Mack. Shaki Jacques Louis had a huge game uh, just a, a few weeks ago. And defensively, I mean Pitt uh, from a pass rush standpoint, this is a top five team in the country in sacks this year and and they even lost two of their most uh talented defensive linemen Rashad Weaver and Keyshawn Camp uh by week one so uh defensively there's certainly a a huge huge edge uh for Pitt but um uh, all that being said and and really sort of what what sort of closes the gap here and why we have Eastern Michigan covering is uh, our head coach ratings Chris Creighton at Eastern Michigan has done some really really good things talent disadvantages are not something that uh, they have uh, been concerned with. They beat a Big Ten team in each of the last three seasons. And so uh, he comes in at at 43rd in our head coach ratings where uh, at at Pitt, um, oh, God, what's what's his name? Uh, Narduzzi. (laughs) Narduzzi, Pat Narduzzi. uh, comes in at 73rd. So, um, you know, that that in – it really is sort of what – closes the gap here for us but do expect Pitt to win they should win if they don't uh, you know you don't want to draw too much from a bowl game but if Pitt doesn't beat Eastern Michigan that's not a good look so they should win but do expect it to be about a one score game what do you see in that one Xavier I think Pittsburgh drums uh Eastern Michigan I think that this Pittsburgh team is going to get back on track here uh the end of the season with two losses and I think that um, they've had time to kind of get over that, lick their wounds a little bit. And I, I think that they're just a, this is a pit team that early on in the season really was performing at a high level. Um, they, they started off the season losing only one game, losing two games and losing very closely to a Penn state team that was ranked at the time. Uh, they were five and two kind of flying high and then they took a dip. Uh, they lost to Miami. Uh, they lost to Boston college and Virginia tech the last two games of the season. But this is a pit team that we can't forget at one point, what was really at the top of the ACC. And we we had to question whether or not Pitt could actually finish the deal. Um, I think that this is a Pittsburgh team that's going to get, off to the, get after the quarterback. Uh, they're going to maintain uh, that defensive prowess that you were talking about, Nick. And, and I think that they're going to win this game uh, pretty handedly. Uh, this is an Eastern Michigan team that has not played the level of competition um, that a Pittsburgh team has. And, and in their wins, they haven't been all that impressive either. Um, and I think that Pittsburgh gets themselves to eight wins on the season um, and silences some of the uh, the noise that's going around their ball club at the moment. So, uh, The military ball, Temple and North Carolina. North Carolina favored by four and a half points here. 53 is the over. I feel like North Carolina rolls in this game, Nick. How do you see it going? Well, as far as our projections go, uh, we do give North Carolina a slight edge. Uh, would have them covering the, the current four and a half uh, but the final score that we've got projected is 29-24, so it's not a big edge one way or the other. And actually, compared to the opening number, uh, you know, have changed sides. So our numbers don't have a, a, a you know a huge edge on this game either way. Uh, these teams are fairly well, uh, you know, evenly matched. I mean, North Carolina ranks 56th in roster strength and Temple 72nd. So you know that that. We would expect maybe a bigger gap uh, between these two teams, but Temple is is one of the better 
G5 programs. I mean, both of these teams rank in the top 50 in team performance. Temple is 50th and North Carolina 38th. Uh, Mac Brown, gives a, we give him a little bit of an edge uh, as far as our head coach ratings, but he only comes in at number 59 in large part to the long layoff after uh, his the end of his Texas tenure and, and Rod Carey at Temple. Uh, our numbers just don't love him for whatever reason. He comes in 92nd, but uh, I could see this game going a lot of different ways. I could see it being a very, very close game. I could see North Carolina opening it up and, and I could see Temple uh, pulling off an upset. So I don't personally have a very good read on this game. I think both of these teams have have had highs. They've had lows. They're sort of hard to nail down. So uh, at this point, my opinion, I, I don't have a, a real heavy lean one way or the other. So I uh, have to sort of stick with what our numbers say. And that's uh, North Carolina 29, Temple 24. What do you think, Xavier? You know what? <laughs> I'm really on the fence about this one. I really am uh, because North Carolina is one of those teams that has played really well at times this season and has also shown you their backside in some other games. Um, and this Temple team, I really like their defense. Um, you know, they performed well. They've only given up 30-plus uh, in three games this year as a defense, um, and those two games are against UCF, SMU, and Buffalo. Other than that, they've held some offenses that we thought were pretty good, like Cincinnati, to under 20. They held them to 15 points just three weeks ago. And for me, or excuse me, just a month ago. And, and for me, it really comes down to what Sam Howell are we going to get. Are we going to get the one that performed excellently against Clemson and almost had them in an upset? Or are we going to get the one that... Uh, you know, didn't come to play against Virginia or, or through crucial interceptions against Pittsburgh. That's where this game goes for me. Um, so I'm going to go with Temple just because I don't know what quarterback uh, North Carolina is going to get um, when they play that uh, when they play Temple on Friday. Um, I'm going to go with Temple to win this game and get the upset. Uh, the pinstripe ball, Wake Forest and Michigan State here, Nick. Uh, Michigan State favored by three and a half. I picked them in this game. I don't feel great about it. Uh, but I wouldn't feel great about Wake Forest right now either. So how do you see this uh, pinstripe ball playing out? Yeah, I have a, a similar thought process. Our numbers give Michigan State, a, a, have them favored, but not by very much. Um, and our final score prediction is probably a little on the high side. I mean, Wake Forest has put up some good offensive numbers in the past, but they have been very banged up, especially in the, the latter weeks of the year, Jamie Newman, the quarterback, who's who's been really one of the most exciting quarterbacks in the ACC, has, has been on the injury report for several weeks now. Uh, it seems that he's good to go for the bowl game, uh, but he's going to be without two of his favorite receivers, uh, Sage Sherratt, who unfortunately we lost in week 11. And we haven't seen Scotty Washington uh, since that that game as well. So uh, I, I'm not 100% sure. I think there is a chance Washington could play. I might be wrong about that. Maybe I'm getting that confused, but I do believe this Surratt is is uh, going to be out here. So uh, this is not Wake Forest at uh, full strength, and and they've also had some key losses defensively as well. So I was a, a little bit surprised when I saw our first projection actually had Michigan State favored because our numbers have have really soured on Michigan State as the the course of the year. Uh, you know, as as the year played out, they were in our initial top 25 and and then they've just slipped little by little each week but uh, they, they've come around they had some uh you know it's always nice when you can finish your season against 
uh, Rutgers in Maryland. And, and uh, so they were able to come in <laughs> with a little bit of uh, momentum uh, on their end after a five-game losing streak. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't have a great read on the game itself. Our, our final score, like I said, Michigan State 28 Wake Forest 26. I probably would knock that down a little bit to maybe something in the 24-21 the range. If, if Michigan State is going to win this game, it's likely that it's going to play out as a Michigan State-type game, if that makes sense. So I uh, don't really see them winning uh, a, a higher-scoring game. I think if, if this does develop into um, a little more of a shootout, so to speak, that, that that probably gives Wake Forest an edge. But at this point, we see it pretty close, but the Spartans uh, to to get a win. How do you see it going, Xavier? Got to be Wake Forest here. Michigan State has instilled <laughs> zero confidence in anybody who watches them all season. Uh, first off, let's talk about how the Pinstripe Bowl is one of the weirder bowls because it's played inside of a, uh, a baseball stadium. How so dare both- you? So is the <laughs> Cheez-It Bowl. Yeah, but okay, that, that doesn't make it cool that yeah, both the Cheez-It Bowl is not side. weird. Yeah, right. <laughs> Whatever, Nick. Nobody asked you. <laughs> um, I'm going to have to go away for us here. Uh, I know that they ended their season with a sour taste in their mouth, losing to Syracuse in overtime. But Michigan State at no point this year has been good. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with Wake Forest. This is a They're team a that we bowl honestly... game. Yeah, but and they played honest, a Big they, Ten schedule. You can't oh, crap whatever. on them that much. Whatever they lost, to, they lost to Illinois. They barely beat Indiana. They lost to an Arizona. Illinois State is in a bowl game too. Yeah, but let's be honest. If they were G five teams, both of them, they'd probably be sitting at home right now. Um, yeah, yeah they got just, the he's, he's still a little bit sore. He picked Michigan State to win the Big Ten in the Salty. preseason. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 big bag of chips right now. I'm not happy about it. So I'm going to go away for us here. The Demon Deacons roll. I'm sorry, uh, Sparty, but you're going to end six and seven. Uh, the uh, Texas Bowl, Texas A&M hosting, uh, or not hosting, well, kind of probably because it's the Texas Bowl, against Oklahoma <laughs> State. Uh, Texas A&M is favored by six and a half. 54 is the over here. Uh, I don't have any confidence either way. I know Spencer Sanders was practicing. He's supposed to be playing in this game for Oklahoma State, so they get their starting quarterback. But we just saw Boise State get their starting quarterback back, and he was rusty. So I just don't know how to feel about this one, Nick. Uh, what, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I feel similarly. And, and uh, this number, uh, our, our projected point spread was really right on with the opening number we added as, as a uh, – Texas A&M favored by four, and and that seems about right to me. And and since you know in the in the few weeks since it opened, it's gone up. Texas A&M is like you said, six and a half point favorite, and and I think some of that maybe is is uh, just sort of public uh, perception, perhaps the SEC and Texas A&M does have a. Uh, talent advantage. They do rank 21st in roster strength compared to Oklahoma State, which is 46th according to our numbers. But Oklahoma State, we know, is capable of of giving anybody uh, a headache and really capable of, of beating anybody. So uh, Chuba Hubbard is probably the last we're going to get to see of him. Um, and as you mentioned, Spencer Sanders is, is hopefully we're going to get to see him uh, sort of close out his red shirt freshman year and, and hopefully start uh, the 2020 offseason on a high note as he moves into his sophomore year. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited for this game, not necessarily – uh, to see it play out, you know, on the field, but 
again, with an eye toward 2020. I have a feeling that Texas A&M is going to come in really highly ranked next year. Uh, I'm trying to get ahead on our numbers and, and sort of, you know, little by little sort of knocking out some of the lower uh, tier teams. But uh, I think Texas A&M is going to be a fringe top 10 team in our numbers in the preseason. And it depends on who comes back and who leaves early for the NFL draft. But if they're not hit too hard, uh, and I know they lost their their stud defensive lineman already, but at this point it looks like he's the only starter that's going to be gone from that defense. And, and on offense, just about everybody uh, is going to be back. Maybe there's a chance they lose a receiver too early. They do have some really, really high-end talent guys there in, in the uh, – in the receiving core. So I'm, I'm intrigued to watch this game because I want to see one can Texas A&M sort of rise to the occasion of, of who we uh, think that that will be a team with a lot of off season hype. I mean, there's a lot of transition in the sec West. This is a team that we could potentially see compete for a division title next year. And at least it looks that way on paper. So uh, that's, that's mostly what I'm going to be, looking at and and you know is this a team that is worthy of a potentially a top 10 preseason ranking and and maybe in that early you know who's going to be a a playoff contender conversation because they're one of the 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 teams on the outside looking in probably the only team currently unranked that maybe could enter that discussion um and and so that that's what i'm most interested in this game but i expect it to be uh, a pretty close one our final score projection is texas a&m 31 oklahoma state 27 that seems maybe a little too high scoring for me at, at first glance might might uh, knock off uh, maybe a you know maybe a touchdown total uh, from that if, if uh, I were to, to just think my own um, uh, opinion but uh, the four points seems about right I think Oklahoma State can cover but I think Texas A&M probably should win man already putting A&M in the top 10 for next year I don't like that at all Nick uh, <laughs> I don't know I don't know that I feel good about it but just, just sort of looking ahead and, and seeing where the, the numbers are are leading me i think it's gonna happen oh yeah god disgusting disgusting (laughs) don't like it at all xavier texas ball you got the aggies as well yeah i mean let's be honest their five losses have come to some of the hardest teams in the country they lost to clemson auburn alabama lsu georgia you can't really name a tougher schedule in the country in my opinion um, than what Texas A&M had to play this year. Uh, they had to play LSU, Georgia, and Clemson on the road. Um, they got Alabama at home, but that's never fun. And then Auburn beat them at home as well. Um, this A&M team is 7-5, and five, but I think it's a very misleading 7-5. and five. This, When you take those five losses into account, this is a much better A&M team that I think people are giving them credit for. I think they beat this Oklahoma State team. I think you're right. I think that all of that they're getting their starting quarterback uh, back, I think that there's going to be a hint of rust. Um, in that game, and I think that this Oklahoma State team is going to have to lean on Chuba Hubbard. Um, it'll be fun to see what he can do against the SEC front uh, front four um, and front seven uh, to see if he can really uh, put his yardage uh, to good use. And I would love to see if he explodes because I think that that helps his draft stock out. Obviously, anytime a running back has a good game against an SEC team, that always helps. Uh, but I got A&M in this ball game. I think they're the better team, and I think that their five losses are m- are more of a misnomer to playing a tough schedule than them being a five loss ball club. Yeah, I mean, I 
I'm with you guys as far as I think A&M should be favored in this game. You guys are absolutely right about the schedule. That's uh, unbelievably tough, rough schedule. I will say, though, they didn't win one of those games. Probably should have won one of them, right, if you're going to put them in the top ten for next year. But they dealt with a lot of injuries as well. Uh, I don't know what to do in this game. I think I'd pick Oklahoma State against the spread and A&M straight up, which is what the numbers say. So... Uh, tough game to pick. The Holiday Bowl, this is an even rougher one, in my opinion. <laughs> Iowa and Southern Cal, uh, USC in this one. Uh, Iowa's favored by two. 52 is the over. Um, I, I don't know what to go on either one of these. Uh, I feel like USC kind of played well at the end of the year. Uh, Iowa has a rough, rough defense. Um, I think I would definitely take the under, but that's all I have. Nick, what are you doing with the Holiday Bowl here? Yeah, I, I, I really like the point you just made about Texas A&M and, and that difficult schedule, and you would expect them to win one of those games. And, and statistically speaking, absolutely, you would expect that, that they were going to win a game that was, uh, you know, a lot of those weren't necessarily toss-ups, but there were games where their win expectancy was probably, you know, in the 40s or maybe even close to 45. And, and so you would expect that, yeah, you play three really tough games. If you are a top 20 team, which Texas A&M currently is number 18 in our team strength ratings, uh, you would expect them to win one of those games. So so I think that's a great observation on, on your point. And to that, uh, when we go through and recalculate the head coach ratings uh, to do the, the, you know, official, official uh, updates for 2020, uh, that number is probably going to come down and, and that will hurt them a little bit because we do have Jimbo Fisher 10th and that probably seems a little high based on this year. But uh, sort of in a, in a similar sense, USC had a very difficult schedule and they did have, you know, some some ugly losses. You wouldn't expect them to lose to BYU. Uh, they got blown out by Oregon. Uh, but uh, in a lot of ways, this team uh, did some really good things too. And they did pick off one of those very difficult games when they knocked off Utah. So uh, USC is also a team that we're going to have to uh, probably hear a lot about in the off season. And in some ways it's going to be, you know, Clay Helton, he's on the hot seat and the recruiting ratings are, are in the garbage can and, and all this sort of stuff. But uh, our numbers, I can almost guarantee you, USC is going to be the highest rated Pac-12 team uh, in 2020, according to our preseason numbers. And I was looking through today, actually, I'm, I'm again, my mind is so much on 2020, but I'm, I'm sort of starting to formulate. I've, I've got uh, a deadline coming up in a couple of weeks for a way too early top 25 post uh, for one of the outlets that I write for. And, and I, USC has just got to be the preseason favorite right now. Washington is our uh, 15th ranked team. Utah is number nine and Oregon is number 13. But all of those teams lose more from a production standpoint, the returning starters and all of that than USC. And I, I do think there's actually a chance, especially if they can win this game uh, in, in the Holiday Bowl, which is not a given. We do have Iowa as a slight favorite. Um, but if they're able to, to pick up a win here, uh, that's going to be a you know an upset win. That's going to go towards Clay Helton's head coach rating, and and so he has a chance to build and, and improve on his number, which is the only thing really that's dragging USC 
down at this point. He ranks 74th in head coach rating, and I think that that number is going to creep up a little bit, even if they don't win this game. So uh, Iowa has a huge edge at that spot because Kirk Ferentz is is number seven in our head coach ratings, and and uh, that might seem a little high, but he's done a terrific job at Iowa. Um, he's he's you know taken what's uh, really a roster that ranks outside of the top 50. I think everybody would, would probably agree to that um, and has played like a top 20 team consistently. So this game is, is uh, should be very close. Um, I, 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 my, my mind wants to say evenly matched, but they're really not because USC has a huge talent advantage with a top 10 roster strength. But um in a lot of ways, a lot of the other numbers that we look at, net yards per play and uh, you know all the things that go in our team performance ratings, these two teams rank very similarly in, in those, uh, those numbers. So I do see it as a good game, should be fun. Uh, you know, the, the primetime Friday night matchup, this is, this is what you want, two ranked teams, uh, both coming in, you know, three-game winning streak and, and all of that. So uh, we do have Iowa projected to win have it about a field goal 27 24 i would not be at all surprised if usc wins this game and actually in uh one of the talent advantage posts uh the the bowl uh post that i do uh from majorwager.com gave this out on the usc side actually uh conflicting with the cfp winning edge numbers but as uh, a best bet because of the roster uh advantage the usc has so could see this going anyway it's not going to shock me uh, no matter what the final score is here. But uh, our our numbers have Iowa as a slight favorite, but USC with a huge talent advantage could go anyway. What do you think of uh, this one, Xavier? It's going to go one or two ways. Um, either Iowa is going to make this an Iowa-like ball game where they, they keep the score low, uh, they, they force a couple of turnovers, but them themselves can't get into the end zone um, and make this uh, more of a, a kicking contest to see who can make the most amount of field goals. Or USC and their and their amazing receiving core, the talent that they have around the field, Slovis is going to be able to get the ball to those guys, and it's going to be a route. Um, I just don't know which one is more possible at this point. Um, I think Iowa's defense, obviously, um, I can trust more than USC's offense as Iowa's defense, for the most part, has performed consistent all year, not giving up any more than 24, po- 24 points to any opponent all season. I mean, that opponent was Wisconsin. Um, so I think that I'm going to go with Iowa here because I just trust their defense more than I trust USC's offense to perform. Uh, I think Iowa does just enough offensively um, against a USC defense that has been, you know, subject uh, to giving up some big plays this year. And I think Iowa goes ahead with the W. Now, going over to the weird because it's played in a baseball stadium, cheese it ball, Air Force and Washington State. Uh, I am so excited about this game because these teams are so different. You get a triple option, hard-nosed defense team in Air Force playing against a high-flying Washington State team. I think this you know, Air Force by three and the 68-and-a-half over kind of plays into both hands. I don't see – if Air Force wins, it's going to be lower than 68 points total scored, I feel like. So, uh, Nick, are, are you with me on that, and who are you picking? Well, so uh, for the, uh, most of the games that we picked earlier on today, I, I said, oh, our numbers don't have a big edge here and all this other stuff. Well, this one we do see an edge. We have Washington State favored, and that's the first time today that, that we've – 
got our wrong team favored. But of course, if you listen to all of our recaps of the previous Bulls, we're currently 0-2 in that situation this Bull season. So I don't quite know how to feel about it. And this is also one where our numbers agree with that major wager piece that I talked about. Washington State has a roster, or excuse me, Washington State has a roster strength edge here. They're the 40th best roster in the country, according to our numbers. Air Force is 110th, and a lot of that has to do with Air Force relies on you know a lot of two-star guys, and they just they recruit tons and tons of guys, but none of them are, are very very highly rated. But this has been uh, a a great great team. They rank 32nd in our team performance metrics, which is uh, about a dozen spots ahead of Washington State. They rank 25th. In net yards per play, they're outgaining their opponents by almost a full yard, uh, which is uh, 35 spots ahead of Washington State. So uh, I'm not uh, I'm not surprised that Air Force is favored here. They're a 10 win team. Washington State barely, you know, got bowl eligible at six and six. So uh, this is is as you mentioned, a, a an incredible contrast of styles should be a lot of fun. I think we expect a lot of points and our final score prediction is, is along those lines. We actually have uh, 66 projected points, which uh, uh, still comes in under somehow, but, but uh, is a, a, one of our higher scoring numbers uh, of the, the entire bowl season, but we've got Washington state favorite 35, 31 and, and, uh, Anthony Gordon, the quarterback, has, has been a lot of fun to watch this year. Nation's leading passer. You know, who's going to be the guy next year? Again, as, uh, as I'm always looking ahead to, to 2020, and that's going to be a big off-season talking point uh, for sure. And, of course, as you know, in uh, CFF circles as well, you know, who's going to win that job and, and uh, be in line for some big yardage and touchdown totals this year. But I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. This should be one of the more fun – uh, matchups that we will see, and and I'm a bit jealous that you're going to be able to see it firsthand. <laughs> I'm I'm excited about it, Xavier. How do you see this one playing out between Washington State and Air Force? Uh, this is a frustrating <laughs> matchup. It is because you you really expect Air Force, who obviously has the better record, to play up to their ability and and win this ball game pretty handedly against a Washington State team that has underperformed and been very underwhelming in their losses. Um, and their defense has just not been good. Let's just put it out simply. They haven't been good. They gave up 53 points to Oregon State. They gave up 67 to UCLA. This this defense is not one that you can hang your head on for any measure, any reason whatsoever. Um, but it's also a game where the lack of preparation for a Washington State offense that is electric, that thinks that a short five-yard pass is, 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 uh, is a run play, according to Mike Leach. Um, you know, and a Washington State team that, can explode for a, a lot of points. I mean, they put up 63 in that loss to UCLA. So with the contrasting styles, I'm going to have to go with Air Force. Um, you know, I just am going to hang my hat on their defense to get the job done. And I think they're going to run the ball just good enough to keep the ball out of Washington State's hands enough for them to to, to to win this game. And like I said, Washington State's defense has been abysmal. And I don't think that changes in the bowl game. Uh, going over to the Cotton Bowl here, Penn State and Memphis in the Cotton Bowl. Penn State is favored by seven. The over is 60 and a half here. I, I don't... That should be higher. Yeah, yeah, probably should. I feel like Memphis can hang in this game. I think it's at least going to be competitive, but I can see this one going either way as well, Nick. Yeah, and, and I have a I have similar thoughts. And, and our initial 
uh, number when we weren't sure if Mike Norvell was going to be uh, hanging on to coach similar to, to how Scott Frost was with UCF a couple of years ago. Um, we had this much, much closer, but with uh, him gone and, and uh, who had been the interim Ryan Silverfield, who now has gotten the full-time job, uh, that number uh, widened a bit. And we actually have Penn State as an eight-point favorite here. And interestingly, our, our final score prediction uh, has this as a much lower scoring game. And, and uh, we could certainly be wrong about that. But, but for whatever reason, think that Penn State is going to be able to hold down the Memphis offense a, a little bit in this one. And, and uh, again, I, I feel like I'm, I'm starting to sound like a broken record, but looking ahead to 2020, I think Penn State is a team that is going to be in the mix for uh, Big Ten uh, favorite. I mean, uh, Ohio State probably, you know, they're going to, they're from a, from just a pure talent standpoint, going to be uh, still the most talented team there. But uh, Penn State is going to have a, an edge in a lot of different spots and experience. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if it's pretty tight there and they're maybe knocking on the door of a preseason, you know, top six or seven spot. So uh, don't be shocked if that's the case, because they are 15th in the country right now. They're returning a lot of skill guys. If KJ Hamler comes back, that's going to be a big boost. They're going to lose, you know, a couple of big time guys on defense. But uh, for the most part, a lot of the most recognizable names for Penn State are, are going to be back in 2020. So uh, keep that in mind as you're watching this game. Memphis, on the other hand, they are going to get Brady White, the, the senior quarterback, is uh, expected to come back for a sixth year uh, next year. And, and, of course, Kenneth Gainwell, the uh, the all-everything redshirt freshman running back who had a, an incredible year, uh, who slowed down a little bit in the, in the second half. But um, he's going to be back as well. But Memphis loses a lot at the receiver positions. And, and uh, you know, they're, they're certainly going to be in the mix, I think, in the AAC. But um would expect them to take a, a small step back uh, going into to next year. But this is a great matchup. It, it should be a lot of fun. Memphis is a legitimate top 25 team. I mean, they've ranked 15th in the country in team performance. They rank 10th in net yards per play. Uh, both of those are, are right in line with Penn State. And, and this is a top 30 team as far as roster strength goes. So uh, this is not, you know, uh, a, a weak uh, G5, like we saw, you know, with, with Northern Illinois that year when they uh, made it into the BCS against Florida State or a huge mismatch like uh, when Hawaii played Georgia about a decade ago, things like that. This is a, you know, this is a, a game that Memphis legitimately uh, could win. But uh, our, our final score prediction, we do have Penn State winning and we do have them uh, actually covering uh, winning 28 to 20. What do you think about the Cotton Bowl, Xavier? Man, I, I really do want to pick Memphis in this game. I think that they were licking their chops when they watched the film of Minnesota versus Penn State earlier this year and how Penn State secondary was giving up a lot of big plays uh, to that Minnesota, uh, that Minnesota receiving court. I just think that Penn State's defense is good enough to get the job done. I don't think Memphis has seen a defense anywhere close to what Penn State has on that um, has. Uh, Micah Parsons and, co and company are going to fly around. To go Is Gross Matos you know, playing this game or no? I I, so. I have him listed as playing. He has declared, yeah. but uh, I haven't seen anything to suggest that he's sitting out. Okay. So could be going to miss something, but I think he's supposed to play. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I think he's playing, and this Memphis team has not seen a defense that good all year. Um, but that explosive offense, if they can get loose on the edge, um, it's really going to come down to whether or not Penn State tackles well. Because uh, this Memphis team is is predicated off of uh, you know big plays that start off as screens or bubbles or or, or short hitches that they break a tackle and they go. Um, and, and but overall, I think Penn State wins this ball game. Um, it is going to be one of the more fun games to watch uh, because of the, the 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 style of Memphis and, and the flair that Memphis plays with. And, and you know, then on the opposite end, you've got Penn State's ruggedness. Uh, but I think Penn State walks away with a victory. And uh, like Nick said. I don't think that they'll be one of the favorites for the Big Ten. You know, they're still in my fraud pool. But, um, <laughs> hey, the only way you get out the fraud pool is if you show me something next season. Uh, but uh, I think that they're definitely in con- – I think they're definitely a top three team or a team to watch out for in the, in the Big Ten come next year. Now, going over to the Camping World Bowl, Notre Dame and Iowa State playing this one. Uh, Notre Dame favored by three and a half. Fifty-four and a half is the over here. I think Iowa State's been a great team all year, but I just think they're going to get outclassed in this game. I think this is a Notre Dame stomping, Nick. What, what do you? How do you see this one going? All right, I'm going to challenge myself, and, and you guys <laughs> hold me accountable here. Okay, all right. <laughs> this, this is the last time I'm going to talk about 2020. I'm going to I'm going to shut myself off about after this one. I think Notre Dame is a playoff contender in 2020. They they return a a lot. And they're going to miss Chase Claypool, who's a very physical receiver. I'm excited to see him for the last time in this game. Uh, And, and, you know, a couple of bits and pieces here and there, a starting linebacker, a couple of guys in the secondary. But unless they're unexpectedly hit hard, uh, by NFL draft decisions, and, and that would probably include the offensive line. If they can bring back uh, everybody on the offensive line, this is a top five team in 2020. So just just be ready. Uh, you know, if you're a Notre Dame hater, and, and I think I, I think Xavier might be, uh, you're going to be tired of hearing a lot about Notre Dame in the offseason. But this is a team, as it you know, looking at our team uh, profiles here. Uh, they return so much and they already rank in the top 10 in our team strength rating. So uh, expect to hear a lot about Notre Dame. And, and if they come out and have a, uh, you know, a big bowl game performance, um, and, and this seems like it could be one of those because, believe it or not, this is actually one of the biggest edges we've got all bowl season. Uh, our numbers like Iowa State. They, they have them in the, the top, uh, excuse me, at, at number 21 in team strength. And, and that's probably better than you might expect for a team that doesn't have, uh, you know, a, a ton of four-star type guys, doesn't, you know, have a great record, seven and five. But, but our numbers do respect Iowa State. They respect head coach Matt Campbell. And this has played, you know, this team is a legitimate top 25 team. 26th in team performance, 17th in net yards per play. But Notre Dame is, uh, you know, is is a top 10 caliber team. They rank 11th in team performance. Uh, Brian Kelly, love him or hate him, and a lot of people hate him, ranks 6th in our head coach ratings. Uh, so, so this is a Notre Dame team that has the potential to go out and make a statement, win this by maybe a couple of touchdowns. Our number's only eight, but that's pretty big compared to three and a half that the the current market has. So like Notre Dame a lot in this game, uh, I certainly, as I said before, I'm wrong a lot, 
But if Notre Dame comes out and, and wins this game, maybe similar to how they beat uh, LSU a couple of years ago and sort of rode that uh, big bowl win and, and a lot of momentum into the offseason, uh, if it plays out like that, you're going to hear a lot about Notre Dame in the spring and summer. Uh, and I would not be at all surprised if they're in our preseason uh, top five next year. Notre Dame haters, Xavier. I mean, what what do you think about uh, the Camping World Bowl here? I think I think Notre Dame's going to blow out uh, Iowa State in this ball game. I, that that's what they should do. Let's put it that way. I think Iowa State has you know had some good performances this year. Obviously, the one against Oklahoma where they were almost, they almost won it at the death. Uh, but this is a, a Notre Dame team that you know, barring the loss to Georgia and barring that and barring uh, that drubbing to to Michigan. We, they probably be they'd be in the uh, in the in the playoff this year, uh, but that's why Notre Dame is not uh, for me going to be a team to look out for in 2020. They lose Ian Book, who in this game needs no, no, looks back. Wait, is he not a senior? He's a senior, but Notre Dame does a funny thing. So 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 they cheat. This is a bit of a t- <laughs> Notre Dame, Notre Dame uh, Michigan, and Stanford drive me nuts in the off season. And there might be somebody else I'm, I'm forgetting, but they on their roster list their academic year instead of their eligibility year. Uh, but Ian Book redshirted as a freshman, so he's listed as a senior, but I list him as a junior. Uh, so, so maybe I've made a mistake somewhere, and I expect them to to bring more back than they than they do. But I think I adjusted for all those. Uh, but but I've had some some of the guys that Stanford. Uh, you know, are going into the transfer portal or whatnot. I've I already thought they were seniors and Michigan. I've made mistakes in the past, so keep all of that in mind. But yeah, it, it, they're tricky to nail down exactly. But I do believe that Ian Book uh, will be back in 2020. If if I'm somehow wrong about that, then that you know I'll take back everything I just said because that would change things. Uh, but you're right. Though. I do believe he's back. Yeah, I, I think you're right. When you go onto their website. Um, in his freshman season, they said he did not see action during the season. So I'm going to go with what you're saying, um, as he'll be in his junior year this year and then senior year next year. Um, but any that, that gives me even more reason to dislike Notre Dame. Uh, <laughs> but um, <laughs> just tell the this is just give it to us how it's supposed to be. Um, but they should win this game. Ian Book for me needs to perform well. Um, I, all season, he's just been right about average. I've, I've expected more from him. Yes, he has 33 touchdowns, but he only has about a 59% completion percentage. And, and, I, and I need to see more from a guy that if he had played better this year, I genuinely believe that they would have been in the playoff. Um, he played. He, had, he didn't have a great game against Georgia, and obviously nobody on, Notre, on the Notre Dame team had a good game against Michigan. Uh, but I really genuinely believe that he go when, when he goes, Notre Dame is just that much better of a ball club. I mean, I'm looking for him to have a really good game. Um, I think Notre Dame should win this game by two touchdowns or more. Um, they just have that kind of talent. And although Iowa State's a nice team, they're always fun to watch. And you always kind of pull for them because they are—they seemingly are always the underdog in big games. Uh, Notre Dame should win this one pretty handedly. All right, let's get into the playoff here. And we got the Peach Bowl, Uh-oh. LSU and Oklahoma. LSU is favored by 13 and a half, 76 is the over in this game. And that may not even be high enough, to be honest with you. But, Nick, I've got LSU stomping Oklahoma in this game. Now, I'm not trying to tell anyone that Oklahoma isn't a good team. They they came back and they beat Baylor. Uh, they beat the teams in front of them. 
Uh, do I think they deserve to be in the playoff? I think it's close, but yes, I think they do. Uh, but I've got LSU winning this game. They just seem unstoppable right now. Yeah, so uh, and uh, Athlon Sports, one of the people I, I write for their website, uh, asked me to uh, make the case for Oklahoma to win this game. And so I, I was I was given a project with the title, Five Reasons Why Oklahoma Will Win the Peach Bowl. And <laughs> I did my very best. <laughs> but but I just don't I just don't see it happening. Because every reason I gave for why Oklahoma, you know, uh, Oklahoma's got great quarterback play. Well, Joe Burrow's better than yeah, Jalen Hurts. You know, <laughs> just when right. the Heisman Hurts finished number two. Uh, well, Oklahoma's very explosive on offense. Well, uh, obviously, LSU also very explosive on offense. Uh, Oklahoma's has, uh, uh, or excuse me, LSU is susceptible on defense. They've shown some weaknesses, but LSU is a top 20 defense, statistically speaking, and they're probably a top five unit as far as just overall talent goes. Whatever they uh, are, they're better than uh, Oklahoma. Exactly. Every statistical category, they're better than Oklahoma. Oklahoma has made huge improvements this year, but they're just they're they're still not even close with LSU from a statistical standpoint. And and though talent arguably uh, is closer, uh, Oklahoma is much thinner, especially in the secondary. They've had uh, some injuries there. They lost their top pass rusher to suspension, and and so I just. I, don't see it happening. So, uh, as far as our, uh, you know, our number compared to the market, we actually see a pretty good edge uh, on the side of Oklahoma. I think that they will be able to keep this close, but I just don't see a way that Oklahoma wins this game. I mean, would I be shocked? Not necessarily. I mean, our, our numbers have been were very high on Oklahoma the preseason. Had them as a, a solid number three team all year until they lost to Kansas State, but they have fallen off. Uh, in several ways since. And LSU has just been steady, strong, and elite uh, all year in, in many, many, many ways. So I expect LSU to win. Do expect it to be a fun game. Uh, but uh, we do have Oklahoma covering, uh, keeping it to within about a touchdown. LSU, our final score prediction, LSU 38, Oklahoma 31. Leg one uh, to get to the national championship here, Xavier. Who do you have in the Peach Bowl? I have LSU. Need I say more? Uh, this the LSU is the best team in the country, um, and I think they'll show that against Oklahoma. I have been very, very low on Oklahoma since their loss to Kansas State. I feel like this is a one-man ball club at the current moment. I think this is Jalen Hurts' team, um, and, and normally, you know, your quarterback being the best player is a good thing. However, when he's also the best running back, um, it's it it gets to a point where. Jalen Hurts, if he does not come to play or if they you know, are able to stop him, then they don't really have that many answers elsewhere. I am looking forward to seeing whether or not uh, Edward Zilaire will be healthy for this game. Um, I think that without him, LSU's offense takes a little bit of, little bit of a dip, um, but not too much of a dip to where I think Oklahoma can win this ballgame. This is a team that was struggling with the third-string quarterback of Baylor just three weeks ago. Let's not forget that. Um, that this Oklahoma team really has to play an absolutely perfect game against LSU. And I think that that's the one thing against LSU that really makes them that scary. Uh, we watched in uh, when they played uh, Alabama, one fumble from Tua really changed the entire complexion of that ballgame. Uh, and, and they just did not have enough at the end of the day. 
And that's an Alabama team that we thought, you know, with Tua could could sneak their way back into the playoff even after that loss. Uh, so LSU should go out there and handle business. They have the Heisman Trophy winner who now has a stadium named after him. I mean, he has had probably one of the best <laughs> months of any player ever. Uh, so shout out to Joe Burrow. He's half a million bucks for a food pantry too. Yeah, geez. man, he's been doing he's been doing it a lot. He's been doing a lot of things in the right way, and I think that they, they go ahead and win this ball game. Also, what has to be taken into account is that they'll be playing in an arena that they've already played in. Uh, I think that that has something to do a little bit with you know a familiarity uh, aspect and uh, some comfortability as well, as this won't be anything new for them to play in that Mercedes-Benz Dome. So I got LSU winning by a lot. Uh, Oklahoma fans, I think it's going to be somewhere in the kin of how Oklahoma played last year against Alabama, where the where Alabama, you know, stomped on them early and Oklahoma kind of pulled it back in the second half. But overall, they just didn't have enough in the tank. I see similar from LSU. They're going to start fast and uh, it's going to be up to Oklahoma whether they can keep up. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be uh, better than anticipated because Oklahoma, like Xavier said, you know, they'll at least make some type of an effort at a comeback or something if they get down early. But I think it's going to be one of those two little too late games. Uh, going over to the other leg of the national uh, championship game, we're uh, going to the Fiesta Bowl here in Arizona, Ohio State and Clemson. Clemson is a two-point favorite. 63-and-a-half is the over here. I'm taking Ohio State. I just don't know what to expect from Clemson because uh, I think Clemson is the opposite of LSU. LSU got challenged everywhere. They played a rough schedule. We know how good they are. Uh, Clemson, they're really good. We know that, but we don't know if they're upper echelon or not because the schedule was so damn easy that they played. So, Nick, how do you see Clemson and Ohio State going? I, I think I'm like a lot of people. I cannot wait for this game. This is probably uh, the one I've looked forward to more than any game throughout the entire season. And, and uh, Xavier said, you know, when talking about LSU, oh, they're the number one team in the country and, and or they're the best team in the country. And I, I really disagree with that. I think that Clemson and Ohio State either actually has a better case as, as the, the true number one. And, and uh, that's, you know, that does back up what our numbers say. But I think that also, uh, you know, from, from just my opinion as well, I think these are the two best teams in the country. And, and uh, Ohio State actually ranks number one in roster strength. They rank number one in team performance. The only thing that's dragged them down a little bit, as I've said many times before over the, the course of the entire year, is Ryan Day's just short track record as a head coach. But even with that being said, he's moved himself all the way up to number three as far as our head coach ratings. And, and to be behind, you could guess who number one and number two are. Davo Sweeney and Nick Saban are, are uh, there you know, at the top. Uh, and, and he's closed the gap tremendously, still hasn't lost as a head coach. And of course, as a New Hampshire native, now I'm, I'm uh, 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 you know, a bit partial to him as well. He grew up just down the street here a, a few miles. So uh, like everything I've seen about Ohio State this year, all that being said, Clemson, uh, as I've mentioned before on the show, is, is our number one team. And they have been since uh, Tua Tagovailoa uh, was injured the, the first time. Um, that impacted Alabama's roster strength ratings. They had more uh, other injuries as well. And Clemson sort of uh, took over that number one spot and they have not lost it. They rank number two in roster strength. They rank number two in team performance. Uh, they rank number one in net yards per play. They've outscored, or excuse me, outgained opponents by 3.55 yards per play, uh, which is just absolutely 
incredible. And, and Scott, you mentioned the, the week's schedule. That plays a part here. Uh, but the fact that they have, have uh, opened up a, a really large gap over number two, Ohio State, who has outgained its opponents by 3.09 yards per play. So we're talking about four-tenths of a yard per play is a huge gap between number one and number two. And Clemson has just been absolutely incredible. They have not been tested uh, other than that, that near uh, near miss by North Carolina where, where you know, Clemson at, at that point, it seemed like they snapped out of it a little bit. And since then, it, it, they've just been uh, just absolutely unstoppable. Both sides of the football have been uh, arguably the best in the country as far as our numbers, our numbers go. But if anybody can can compete with that Clemson team that we've seen, it's, it's Ohio state. And, uh, so I, I cannot wait to watch this game. We do have Clemson winning, uh, because they're our number one team and, and we do actually have them covering. Uh, but I, I certainly think Ohio state is capable of winning this game. Uh, whoever wins this, uh, is probably, a, a, unless something just sort of funny happens, uh, you know, assuming LSU wins and, and whoever wins this game is probably going to be favored over LSU by our numbers. And I would expect the market as well uh, by at least a, a field goal. So uh, I think these are the top two teams in the country. Can't wait to watch it. So many talented players, uh, you know, NFL draft guys are going to be salivating over this game because so many uh, players are going to be uh, playing their last time, uh, making their last, uh, you know, their their last game uh, if they lose here. So um, really excited about it. Probably more excited than any game I've watched this year, but we do have Clemson winning and covering just barely. What do you think of this one, Xavier? Fiesta Bowl, Ohio State and Clemson. And, you know, while, while I say Clemson hasn't been tested, you know, last year they beat the crap out of Notre Dame and Bama in the playoff. They lost a lot of NFL talent on defense specifically, but uh, I, I just I'm not sure if they're a team that is good enough to blow the doors off of Ohio State or a team that's going to make it, it a close win or get beat bad by Ohio State because they haven't yeah. been tested this year like they were last year. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those weird things where you really have to go. You ever have to ask yourself, do you trust? You know what Clemson still does have, and the part of Clemson's off, and the part of Clemson's offense that is tested and has been there before is their offense. Um, you know, uh, Lawrence obviously this is not his first go around. Say Antian, this is not his first go around. The receivers obviously uh, flashed on the scene in last year's national championship game. So that part of the team is a team is the part of the team I'm not worried about. However, when we go to the defensive side of the football, you're absolutely right. They had a lot of turnover in a lot of key positions. And and I'm I'm wondering to see, I'm waiting to see what kind of uh, defense that Venable decides to come out with uh, because I feel like Justin Fields is a guy who can be confused and who can be you know uh, especially Wisconsin did a really good job in the first half of making him feel uncomfortable and I think Justin Fields has been uncomfortable at some point at parts um, in games this year most notably against Wisconsin and against Penn State um, in different in differing halves but I think. Um, we'll see how much confidence Clemson has in their defense, depending on how they play. You know, Venable likes to come after guys. He likes to put his uh, his corners on an island, and he likes to see if your quarterback's going to make plays. Um, does he feel confident enough in his in, in his younger defense to do that um, with a front four that's that, that's not nearly as good as the one last year was? Um, so we'll have to see. Um, from Ohio State side, obviously they have Chase Young, uh, who has dominated college football all season long. Um, finishing with the what, what, 16 and a half sacks, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 
And, and obviously Justin Fields on the opposite end. I think J.K. Dobbins is a guy we have to have as the X factor for, for Ohio State. I think they go as far as he goes. Um, Justin Fields uh, is a good player, but that ground game from Ohio State really has made it difficult to just key in on Justin Fields uh, and made it easier for his transition when you've got a back who's doing as excellent of things as, as J.K. Dobbins has done all season. I think I'm going to go with Ohio State in this ballgame just because I don't know what Clemson's defense is going to do against an offense that has the amount of talent um, in the running game that uh, Ohio State presents with a healthy Justin Fields and a J.K. Dobbins, both of which can kill you on the ground. Um, and then obviously Justin Fields with his arm talent can uh, beat you in the air as well. Um, I think this is the first time Venable will be seeing an offense like that um, in a while. And obviously this season he hasn't seen that all year. Um, so I will be surprised to see Clemson dominate this ball game. I think if Clemson wins, it's going to be close. But I'm more uh, on the side of Ohio State, you know, really putting uh, their foot on Clemson's neck early and really forcing that offense to throw the football as much as possible and putting that defense in precarious situations like Ohio State has done multiple times this year. So I'm going to go with the Buckeyes to get to the national championship. So we'll have one versus two. Uh, going through some of the filler bowls here between these two big ones, of course, and then the national championship on the 13th of January. Uh, Westerns, Michigan, and Kentucky in the first responder bowl. Can Western Kentucky favored by three and a half points here. 54 is the over. I've got defense in this game, Nick, but it looks like you're going to take the offensive side on this one. Well, this, uh, and I'll keep it short and sweet from here on out. Uh, this is one of the one of the games in which our number differs uh, the most from the odds makers. We have Western Michigan favored to win this game. Uh, our numbers love the Broncos from a roster strength standpoint. They actually rank 33rd in the country in roster strength. Uh, that's probably a little too high. I think maybe we give a little too much credit to experience that some we're going to look at in the offseason. But because of that, and despite the fact that they have underachieved a lot and have not been good away from home, we do have the Broncos winning this game. Think Levante Bellamy, the running back, uh, you know, end his career on a high note. Uh, give me the Broncos in the upset. What about you, Xavier? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Western Michigan here. I think that uh, Western Michigan's defense will get it. I'm sorry, we'll get it going. And I think that although Western Kentucky finished the season with three straight wins, I'm going to go with Western Michigan to win this ball game. Give me, give me the Hilltoppers. I like the Hilltoppers. I like that strong defense. So that should be at least it's interesting that uh, we're we're going opposite ways there, guys. So I'll be yes. watching that one, uh, <laughs> and that'll be fun. The Red Box Bowl, Cal versus Illinois. If there's a game that you could pick that could wind up like the 2019 Cheez It Bowl, uh, <laughs> or 2018 Cheez It Bowl, this would be it. Uh, I, Cal wow. is favored by six and a half. The over is 43. I think this is an easy Cal win. Uh, but Illinois can come to play on occasion. So how do you see this one going, Nick? Uh, you know, I, I think I disagree with you. I, uh -oh. Cal uh, is going to be without several key players on defense. Their secondary uh, really hit hard by injury. And then I don't know if everything is injury. There, there was some news uh, within the last 24 hours or so that about a half dozen uh, players are not going to play in this game. And it was sort of un- 
uh, undisclosed the reason exactly as to why. I think it, you know, maybe some of it because it's a handful of freshmen as well. Uh, might be maybe a suspension, not sure. Uh, but uh, all that being said, even even before we took that into account, uh, Illinois has a talent advantage in this game, and they're one I wrote uh, about uh, as a best bet for uh, major wager, and and our CFB winning edge numbers agree actually have uh, Illinois keeping this game close so within five points uh, we have Cal still winning but uh, uh, not covering and, and the final score 24 to 19. And Xavier? Give me the fighting Lovey Smiths. I'm going to take the <laughs> Illini here. You know, it's been a it's been a remarkable season for them to go six and six. Even the way that they got to bowl eligibility was ridiculous, beating Michigan State, uh, putting up 27 points in that fourth quarter uh, to, to upset the uh, the Spartans. Um, it's just their season, man. G- give it to Lovey Smith. Allow him to get his first bowl victory at Illinois, and uh, let's continue to ride that train. Uh, going over to the Music City Bowl, Louisville and Mississippi State. Mississippi State favored by four. Uh, impressive that they had a rough, rough schedule this year. So mm-hmm. impressive for them to get into <laughs> a bowl game here. Uh, but Louisville has just been clicking on offense. I think I'm going to take the Cardinal. But uh, uh, Nick, how do you see this one going? So I, I in some ways, can't wait for... Uh, us to be done with these bowl games and we could sort of look back at, at uh, <laughs> the numbers and just sort of how everything shook out. Uh, Louisville is a team I should have I should have uh, spoken up more in the offseason because we had Louisville uh, bouncing around just based on different transfers and, and things like that uh, between like 45 and 60 all preseason and uh, that doesn't sound really high at this point but if if we think back to august and this louisville team was coming off just a horrific 2018 season uh we were higher on louisville than just about anybody and our preseason projections had them challenging for a bowl game i don't remember if our 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 official uh team strength ratings uh actually had them quite getting there but had them winning like five games something something along those lines uh so I, I'm a little bit sad that we didn't uh, speak up louder about Louisville. I didn't quite trust it. But if I'm if I'm going to tout that, then I need to uh, also call out that Mississippi State was ranked, I think, 14th or 16th or something like that in our uh, team strength rating. So uh, certainly we're, we're too high on the Bulldogs. But uh, overall, all that said, Mississippi State has a, a big roster strength edge, but they have underachieved so much. That Louisville actually has an edge as far as team performance and net yards per play and uh, in head coach rating. So we see it as a, uh, a very tight game, should be an exciting one. Uh, we do have Mississippi State favored, but only by one point. So we expect the, the Bulldogs to get the win, get a, a winning record for the year, but uh, for Louisville to cover. Xavier? I think I'm going to go with Louisville here. Um, Mississippi State is a team that has not performed all that great down the stretch. Um, in my opinion, obviously, the way that they even got to bowl eligibility was, was a little bit controversial um, by you know with the missed field goal in the Egg Bowl. Um, and, and like you said, Louisville has been kind of rolling um, as of late. Um, and so I'm going to go with the Cardinals. They have been a team for me that's been a lot of up and down um, in their performances. Um, the front the, the front half of their season was a head scratcher. The back half of the season, they looked really good at times, and then they get blown out by Kentucky, and you're just like, what's going on? Uh, but but I like Louisville. I like their running game. I like their running, running attack. And, and Mississippi State is a team that has really, 
gotten into some offensive lulls this year. Um, and I think that that's going to happen again against this Louisville defense. So I'm going to go with the Cardinal. Uh, the Orange Bowl, Florida and Virginia. Big spread in this one. Florida, a 14.5-point favorite. 54 is the over here, Nick. I, I think that this is a Florida win. Virginia, just a little bit bipolar this year. If they show up to play, they can absolutely compete in this game with Florida, I think. Uh, but I just think that at the end of the day, even the best game out of Virginia, uh, I, I don't see them winning. I can see them competing if they play their best game, but I think Florida wins this one fairly handedly. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Virginia has the the capability. Brock Mendenhall is a, a very solid head coach and, and talent evaluator and program uh, player developer. Uh, but, yeah, we've got Florida pretty big by more than two – Two touchdowns have the Gators covering. Final score prediction is uh, Florida 30, Virginia 14. You want to take Virginia? No. no. <laughs> I, I hate Florida, but I'm not dumb. <laughs> Florida, should, Florida should win this game pretty handedly. Um, I want to see Bryce Perkins once again against a good front four um, and against a good defense. I want to see what he does because obviously his draft stock really hinges on the next like month and a half for him. Uh, so I want to see what he does against a good defense. But other than that, it should be Florida all the way. Virginia Tech versus the Kentucky Lynn Bowdens. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's <laughs> Virginia Tech favored by two and a half here. Forty six and a half is the over. But I got Kentucky winning this game. I think this is all uh, great emotion for the Wildcats moving forward. Uh, they love their guy Bowden there. He is such a great story in college football this year. And I've got them rallying around him and winning this game, Nick. I agree. Uh, our numbers have Kentucky favored. This is another one where we've got the wrong team. Uh, we believe the wrong team is favored. Lynn Bowden has been so much fun to watch. I'm sad to see uh, him go to the NFL because, unfortunately, I just don't watch very much of it. So I uh, hope all the best for him and, and uh, you know, hopefully uh, the incredible, incredible performance that he put together this year. He's, he's put himself in position, I hope, to to make a great living as a return man, receiver, uh, what have you. And, and he's been so much fun to watch basically as a single wing quarterback. I mean, uh, he hardly ever throws, but as you know, they, they put him back there and this offense, uh, just, they, they've been very, very difficult to stop on the ground. And even when you know, it's coming, uh, teams just haven't been able to stop it. And, and as a result, uh, they've moved themselves into the top 25 in net yards per play. They're outgaining opponents by almost a full yard. Uh, they put their team performance rating into the top uh, 40, and and as you know, they're they're now ranked 23rd. Put it all together with a a, a 16th rated head coach and Mark Stoops, and in our team strength ratings, we've got Kentucky as a top 25 team, and and that seems uh, a little bit odd. I was surprised when I when I first saw it, but. Bowden has been that good at quarterback, and and uh, the coaching performance has been that good. So we've got Kentucky winning this game outright, winning twenty four twenty one. And and uh, I lied when I said I was not looking, uh, you know, done talking about twenty twenty. I just looked yep. at Virginia Tech. <laughs> they're gonna be they're gonna be uh, probably the team to beat in the Coastal next year. A lot of people coming back. Expect them to be a top twenty five team, maybe a top twenty team uh, in the preseason. What, what do I you think? think? You went what? I think you went six bowl games without talking about. I it. did my best. <laughs> <laughs> I did my best. <laughs> well, that's what I'm he's working with, on now. It's not surprising. Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, I'm going to go with Kentucky here. Like you guys have said, um, what an amazing story for Bowden. Um, and yeah, I, it's been so weird to watch that their offense has exploded in, in, in this short 
window, and they honestly look better offensively now than they probably did to start the year. Um, so I'm going to go with Kentucky here uh, to win. I think Virginia Tech has been eh, very bipolar <laughs> this year, um, and they shouldn't have lost to Virginia on the last game of the season. Hot take. But uh, Kentucky should walk away with this victory. Uh, Arizona State and Florida State in the Sun Bowl. Arizona State favored by four and a half points here. 54 and a half is the over. I mean, I think this would put an exclamation point on the crappy year that it was for Florida State. Uh, Arizona State really started out hot and then uh, cooled off. So both these teams uh, kind of bottoming out at the bottom of the year here. Mm -hmm. uh, no Brandon Ayuk in this game. Looks like no Eno Benjamin either for Arizona State in this game. So it looks like it's going to be Jaden Daniels. But Florida State cannot stop the pass this year. So I've got ASU in this one, Nick. How do you see this one going? Yeah, we, I agree, and, and our number's pretty much in line with what the market says at this point. We've got Arizona State winning 28-24. You mentioned the, the two big guys uh, gone for the Sun Devils, uh, but they've got a lot uh, on defense, and, and uh, this team has been uh, has shown some really good signs defensively. Unfortunately uh, for them, their defensive coordinator uh, is gone. Now the new head coach at New Mexico, Danny Gonzalez, but uh, – this is a, a game Arizona State probably should win. Uh, the talent, you know, the roster strength is is similar, even with those guys out. Um, Florida State also has, has got some guys out. Cam Akers isn't going to play in this game, uh, so pretty pretty similar teams in a lot of ways. But I, I think Arizona State's probably got the edge and would expect them to win by a field goal or more. Xavier, I just want to. I just want to see Jaden Daniels again. Uh, this kid, for me, has been one of the more fun kids to watch in the country this year. Um, I'm, ex I'm ecstatic to see what he'll do next season um, in his second year under Herm. But, yeah, I'm going to go with Arizona State here. I think that they're the better team. And without Cam Akers, Florida State is just a completely different ball club. And they're not going to be able to uh, – I don't think they're going to be able to do nearly as much without him than they can with him. So let's go with the Sun Devils. The Liberty Bowl, Navy, a two-and-a-half-point favorite against Kansas State in this one. Uh, I, I don't think that this is going to get up to 52 points at all. I don't know why the over is so high. I guess they, they would uh, – I guess if one team gets momentum, it could go that high. But if they're playing back and forth, these are two running teams, right, Nick? Yeah, for sure. And and I guess maybe they're thinking that uh, Malcolm Perry gets loose against Kansas State like he's gotten loose against just about everybody else uh, this year. And, and uh, it, it's possible, certainly. But I think Kansas State – is better defensively uh, than a lot of teams the Navy has, has come up against uh, in the back half of, of their season. And I think that they're going to be uh, coached up pretty well. I mean, Chris Kleiman, the new head coach at Kansas State, he and his staff do have experience defending the triple option back when they were at North Dakota State. There, there are a handful of uh, pretty good triple option FCS teams that, that they would uh, come up against, so it's not like it's a completely foreign concept, and and certainly uh, they probably have not faced anybody quite as good at it as as Navy is this year with Perry and and uh, Carruthers, the the fullback the, that has been a great one-two tandem, and and Navy's been a top twenty-five team. I mean, they're twenty-fifth in team performance, twenty-first in net yards per play, uh, so they're they're certainly capable of, of winning this game but we do give kansas state a slight edge so uh we think the wrong team is favored here kansas state doesn't often uh have a talent advantage but in this case and it's it's 
because pretty much everybody that's not a service academy has a, a talent advantage over a service academy. But uh, we do have Kansas State ranked as the 65th strongest roster in the country and Navy 98th. And then both of these teams uh, playing as well as they have moved up into the top 40 in our uh, overall team strength ratings. But we do give Kansas State a, a slight edge and think that they'll win. Yeah, I mean, Xavier, how do you see this one going? You know what? I think Navy can run away with this one. I, I really have liked Navy all year. I, I think that they're a team who I would have loved for to see Navy get to a New Year's Six. It just didn't happen. Um, you know, I picked them to beat Notre Dame. That didn't happen. But I think that this Navy team is really, really good. And, I, and yes, Kansas State has their win over Oklahoma State. But since then, they haven't been all that impressive. Uh, and I think Navy's running game is is hard for anybody to scheme for, especially when you only have about two weeks, three weeks to actually scheme for it. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and go with Navy here uh, to get the W and uh, continue what has been a really, really nice season for them. Now the Arizona Bowl, Xavier will actually be at this game. Uh, Georgia State mm-hmm. versus Wyoming. Wyoming is favored by seven. 48 and a half is the over. But Wyoming has nothing on offense outside of Valaday. Uh, their, their QB... I believe is in the transfer portal. So they'll be going to now their third string QB because Sean Chambers is out for the year. So uh, I don't know, uh, Nick, I I feel like this game could go either way, but I kind of feel like I would rather take Georgia state. Am I crazy? Well, so you're right that, that uh, Wyoming's backup quarterback, Tyler Vanderwall, who took over after, Sean Chambers uh, hurt his knee and and has been out for the year, is in the transfer portal. But as I understand it, he is still with the team and and is still expected to play in this game. I would be surprised if he starts. It it seems like Levi Williams, uh, the true freshman, is probably going to get the start for Wyoming. But last last I heard, uh, Craig Bull, uh, the head coach, said that – Vanderwall was still with still with the team and, okay. and did expect to play. So I'm not sure exactly how that's going to play out, but I think you're absolutely right that they're just going to uh, go with Zavian Valade just all day uh, and and just really sort of rely on him. And and the All American uh, Logan Wilson linebacker is somebody that that you're going to want to watch if you're a uh, an NFL draft pick kind of guy. Uh, he's all over the field making plays, and they've got a really good. Uh, safety as well, Elijah Halliburton. But I think the the big thing here, uh, maybe a, a from a maybe a trash talking standpoint, Georgia State's got the edge because Dan Ellington, quarterback, uh, and and a very very exciting quarterback, uh, is playing on a torn ACL. So uh, he can you know say, hey, Sean Chambers, what's the deal, man? You know why are you <laughs> why are you sitting out? Why haven't you played since? uh week six or whatever you was. come uh, on yeah so hey, I, i'm i'm strapped up just put a put a brace on it i'm ready to go so uh yeah he's he's a last hurrah for dan ellington and i'm sure xavier's got uh some things to say about him but he's been a, uh just a uh great great uh performer for georgia state and what's been a really really fun year for the panthers and then uh trey barnett that the, the uh, running back has been uh, big as well, and he's really come on strong after Ellington's injury as well. So uh, I, I think it's been a, a lot of fun to watch Georgia State this year. Excited to, to see them play in this game, but our numbers do have Wyoming winning uh, twenty-eight to twenty. Xavier, come on, got to pick your yeah, guys, I'm, right? Oh, oh, yeah, you know I'm going with Georgia State. Although, <laughs> um, although Dan is playing on a torn ACL, he has seemed 
very, very confident um, on social media and just with talking with him about his ACL coming into this game. Um, it's given some, him some time to rest, um, which I think obviously is a good thing going into this game. And if he's able to move and be mobile, then this offense is ridiculously good. Um, I think down the stretch, you know, his limitations obviously are why Georgia State struggled uh, to produce down the stretch and why they weren't the same high-flying offense. But with the rest, he should be able to move a little bit better. Um, obviously, you talked about Trey Barnett and, and the, the year he's had and the amazing year he's had. And those two together, um, when you don't know who's getting the football, um, they can really, really put uh, headaches for defenses um, as they sh- showed against Tennessee earlier this year, as well as, you know, what they did do against um, Army as well. Um, you know, and I, I really think that this Georgia State offense is going to click on all c- cylinders. The one thing I am worried about, and Nick, you kind of um, calmed my thoughts a little bit, depending on what quarterback plays, is that Georgia State defense. Um, at times this year, they have been abysmal. Uh, they have been bad. Uh, Western Michigan, they gave up 51 points, most of that coming on the ground. Um, they have not been a defense that you can hang your hat on, which is why the offense has had to be so explosive. Uh, but I will say that if Wyoming's uh, – backup is playing that gives me a little bit more uh confidence in the panthers to get it done Uh, i'm gonna go with the panthers regardless i think that that offense with dan ellington a 70 percent dan ellington uh is better than what wyoming is going to be able to put out on the field and they get the job done down there in arizona the alamo what's that (laughs) Uh, i said i hope so anyways i'll be down there filming that'll be depressing to watch (laughs) it's uh i i think I, I look. I took um, I took Valaday in the uh, bowl bash because I think he's going to be the majority of the offense. But uh, I think it's going to be a fun game to watch either way. Yeah. Uh, the Alamo Bowl, which I'm not looking forward to, somehow Texas drew Utah. Of course, uh, bad <laughs> enough that that the second game of the year they played LSU, but uh, Utah in this game after almost making the playoff. Now they're playing Texas. Utah is favored by a touchdown. 55 is the over here. Uh, Texas would have to change a lot of what they did on the back half of the season to compete in this game. But this could be one of those games where Utah doesn't care because they were, you know, a quarter and a half away from uh, going to the playoff, it seems, over a team like Oklahoma but they just couldn't beat Oregon. So this could be the game where they just don't show up and they come uninspired, but I don't really see a Utah team doing that. So I would, even as a Longhorns fan, probably have to pick the Utes in this game, Nick. Yeah, and our numbers line up with that. I mean, it's uh, said, it, said it before, you never know who's going to show up motivated, and, and it's it's impossible to predict. But you would think maybe Utah would be the one that would come in uh, thinking, you know, that, that this game doesn't matter, especially having uh, come up short in the Pac-12 championship game and missing out on the playoff. But on the on the flip side, you think, well, Utah has a, a heavy uh, senior-laden roster, and this is sort of the last hurrah. So maybe, you know, maybe they sort of use that as a rallying point and say, all right, this is this is our last time together and and uh, let's go out and you know go out with a bang and, and all this sort of stuff because uh, Utah is going to look much much different uh, from a roster standpoint next year and this really was probably their last best chance for a little while they they put together a really solid finish to the uh, uh, early signing period but uh, just from a, a pure roster standpoint uh, they ranked 15th as far as roster strength but next year I would be 
very surprised if they're a top 30 team in roster strength. So uh, I think that, you know, the, the experience, maybe there's a chance to, to guard against uh, just sort of laying an egg for the second game in a row. Uh, but Texas is, you know, player for player, a little bit more talented. They come in 11th in roster strength, but certainly they have not played to their full capability. They rank 28th in team performance, which is 20 spots behind Utah. They rank 75th in net yards per play. They have just barely outgain their opponents by uh, 0.04 yards per play. Uh, compare that to Utah, which ranks sixth. They're outgaining their opponents by two and a third yards per play. Uh, so that that's a, a huge gap there. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we give Kyle Whittingham an edge as far as the head coach ratings go. He comes in 17th, Tom Herman 35th. And Kyle Whittingham, uh, though they did lose the bowl game last year, has an excellent, excellent career record in bowl games. So a lot of things are pointing towards Utah winning and, and honestly winning big. Our numbers have uh, the Utes favored by 11, actually more closer to 11 and a half. Uh, I don't know that I trust it because Texas, you know, uh, does have a case to be the more motivated team. And, and Herman has a strong track record in bowl games as well. They beat uh, George in the Sugar Bowl last year. So uh, I, I don't know that I trust this number, but we do have Utah as a pretty heavy favorite here and expect the Utes to win uh, pretty easily, 31-20. Xavier? It's Utah. Uh, it's got to be the Utes. Um, you know, I think what's going to be fun to watch, and, and, and Scott, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. in advance, mm-hmm. is, is Zach <laughs> Moss's... Sorry. I just want to see how many yards after contact he has in this ball game. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, with, with the lack of with the lack of tackling that Scott has, uh, uh-huh. you know, on multiple occasions <laughs> outlined as Texas's downfall. Uh, so let's go with the Utes here. As Nick said, I think they're going to be up for this ball game. Um, I don't think they care whether or not the, you know they they obviously care that they're not in the playoff. But finishing this year with 12 wins is still impressive and still a good thing to end off the year with. And obviously with a bowl win against a team. Uh, with the name of Texas is obviously still going to be big. They're not going to have the records on the bowl championship when they hoist it. So it's still going to just say Texas. Um, so um, I think it's going to be a good win for the Utes and, and a nice end to what has been probably their best team in recent memory. Uh, going over to the Citrus Bowl, Alabama and Michigan. Alabama is favored by a touchdown here, 58 and a half. This is the ultimate disappointment bowl right here. <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, Bama... Jerry Judy still playing. I think they're gonna they're gonna come to to go in this one. I don't think this is gonna be a disappointing one. And Alabama is just a better team than Michigan. So I I'm I I'll be happy to wake up and watch this one uh, because I just love seeing Jim Harbaugh lose. So and I hope they play that <laughs> stupid khakis commercial, that Tide commercial uh, throughout this entire game while he's just getting drubbed. That would be my favorite. So uh, Nick, how do you see the Citrus Bowl playing out? So this one is is uh, is a bit of an odd one for me because uh, Alabama they did uh, you know there's not too many people sitting out there was there was sort of a fear that a lot of the receivers would sit out you mentioned Judy is playing I think all the receivers are going to be playing in this game Najee Harris playing in this game last I heard and uh, the full offensive line but they did lose a couple of defensive starters who are sitting out uh, one uh, the top 
uh, corner Trayvon Diggs and then linebacker uh, Terrell Lewis are both going to be sitting out. And then, of course, Alabama's got some injury issues, too. Is not going to play. They've been banged up on the defensive line. Uh, and, and, you know, just some other guys as well. Chris Owens, the center, has missed a few games. And so this Alabama team, because of all of, all of those things, has fallen all the way to eighth in roster strength, which, believe it or not, is one spot behind Michigan. So that was pretty shocking to me when I saw it. I mean, it's it's just by mere percentage points, uh, these teams from a pure talent standpoint on, on who's going to be actually on the field uh, on New Year's Day are pretty evenly matched. But that's basically where the similarities in. Alabama's been much, much better. They rank fourth in team performance. They rank third in net yards per play, outgaining opponents by three yards uh, on average, which is just an elite level. I mean, that's very, very close to what Ohio State has done. Uh, Michigan is not bad, but uh, they rank 17th team performance, 16th in net yards for play. And Jim Harbaugh uh, is on the outside of the top 25 looking in as far as head coach rating. So we give Alabama a, a very big edge here, almost two full touchdowns, which I'm surprised that this line is only at seven and has stayed at seven uh, because we're we're pretty heavy on Alabama. I see a big edge on them, uh, on the Crimson Tide. Motivation certainly is a factor. We've seen Alabama come up short a lot when they don't you know, have a national title to play for. So mm-hmm. if they can guard against that, it shouldn't be an issue. I mean, this is a, a uh, an Alabama team that is much, much better than Michigan should win easily. Uh, but Michigan has more to play for. So uh, if, if that sort of narrative plays out, then this could be a, a much different game. But at this point, see Alabama as a heavy favorite. Xavier? Rotat. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's going to be ugly. Um, you know, I think what we saw was that in the Iron Bowl was that Mac Jones is going to have these boys not maybe as dangerous as what they are with Tua, but he can definitely put points up on the board. And that should be something, you know, uh, that right now um, Harbaugh is wetting his khakis about. So I think that Mac Jones and that offense aren't going to miss a beat. Um, I think it's a confidence boost that the uh, receivers are deciding to play in this game because they definitely didn't have to. Um, all of them, uh, for the most part, are going to be going to the pros and, and, and making some noise there as well. But, uh, you know, injuries aside, Alabama is just a better ball club. Um, and Michigan, you know, is going to end 9-4. and four, um, And we're going to hear the rumblings about Harbaugh in the offseason. They're not going to really mean anything. Um, and I think Alabama wins this game. I think in the past, Alabama has lost some some bowl games to some teams that didn't have the same na- uh, national coverage as a Michigan. Um, and maybe they were asleep at that point. But this is Michigan. And, and it's always fun to beat a powerhouse team uh like michigan uh no matter what the stage is so uh the outback bowl auburn in minnesota the the tigers favored by seven here 53 is the over minnesota absolutely deserves to be in a big bowl like this against a a good team in auburn but i think auburn just beats the crap out of minnesota in this game uh you know i i just think auburn is way more complete team uh nick how do you see this one playing out Compared to the point spread, and what the current market has is a seven-point spread, we see uh, almost exactly zero edge. We have Auburn as a 6.97-point favorite. So we do technically have Minnesota uh, covering, but it's it's basically exactly what 
the odds makers in the market have here. Auburn, I, you're right, does have a, a an edge in a lot of areas. I mean, they're the more talented team. They've played better. They're uh, 13th in team performance compared to Minnesota, who's uh, 22nd. So uh, we give Auburn an, an edge. They should win this game by about a touchdown. I expect it to be relatively low scoring. Our, our number comes in uh, basically five points below the the current total so uh would would not be shocked really if this plays out in a different way i don't necessarily see auburn uh putting together the performance they had against purdue in the bowl game last year but uh think that that minnesota's uh under you know understandably an underdog i do expect them to put up a fight but do expect auburn to come away with a win xavier yeah, I think the Tigers should smack Minnesota in the mouth. I'm going to be honest. I don't think Minnesota has seen a defense barring maybe Penn State and Wisconsin uh, with the kind of front four that they're going to see against Auburn. Derrick Brown and company are deciding to play. I think that they're going to really get after the quarterback and, and, and stop Minnesota from what they do best, and that's passing the football. Um, the, the speed factor is always something to take into account. Um, when you play an SEC team, uh, the fact that they get the sideline to sideline as quick as they do. Um, and really this game for me comes down to whether or not Bo Nix can play like he did in the Iron Bowl. Uh, you know, he played smart, didn't have any turnovers, um, you know, and played as a game manager. If he can't do that against Minnesota, then Minnesota is going to walk away with this victory. But I see them going ahead and handling uh, their, their business against Minnesota and winning this ballgame. Two more games left. One of the most uh, fun games to watch in this bowl season, I think, is going to be the Rose Bowl. Oregon and Wisconsin, uh, two-and-a-half-point uh, favorite. Wisconsin is the over is 51-and-a-half points. I don't think it's going to come close to that over. I think both these teams are going to run, 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 run the ball. Uh, I feel like I, I, I got to take Wisconsin in this game. I know they had some ugly losses this year, but it was – to Ohio State, you know, uh, the Illinois loss was obviously bad, but they were clearly looking ahead. Um, but I disrespected Oregon and picked Utah a couple weeks ago, even when the numbers <laughs> said not to disrespect Oregon, Nick. I understand that. Uh, and, and I think you're going to go the opposite way. But I, I feel like I got to take Wisconsin and hopefully Jonathan Taylor goes out with a bang here. Yeah, and, and uh, you are you are disrespecting the numbers again here, Scott, because <laughs> uh, we think that Oregon should be favored, and and uh, we certainly do agree the numbers and I the the we there uh, agree that this should be a low scoring game. We actually only have it uh, as an Oregon twenty to seventeen victory. Uh, and that might be a bit low. Uh, these two offenses are, are capable of putting up more points than that, but these are two very, very strong defenses as well. So I uh, do think that Oregon is the better team. They have a pretty big edge in roster strength. They're the fifth most talented team in the country, or, or excuse me, talent and experience and production. We combine all of those things into roster strength. So uh, Wisconsin is, is 29th. So they're still, you know, a legitimate top 25 team, and they've certainly earned that number 14 uh, team strength rating and, and uh, uh, knock it. I think they're a top 10 team as far as the playoff committee uh, goes. Yeah. Number eight. So they, they've earned that. They have a number 10 team performance rating, which is two spots ahead of Oregon. So uh, they've certainly uh, earned that, that uh, spot in that uh, final rankings, but uh, we do have Oregon as, as slightly better 
think that they are closer to the team we saw against uh, Utah than perhaps the team we saw a couple of weeks prior to that against Arizona State. So expect the Ducks to win, send Justin Herbert out on a high note. Um, interesting to see, you know, sort of where his career takes him and, and just sort of what the future holds for Oregon in general. They have a lot of rebuilding to do for, for next year, but uh, do think that they can get this win uh, and, and uh, hopefully that would be uh, you know, a point in our favor for the wrong teams favored uh, for that final tally for 2019. Xavier, how do you see this one playing out? This game is so important for Justin Herbert. Um, I think that this game for him has to be a coming out party. Obviously, the, the, the Pac-12 championship game pushed him along a little bit. But against a Wisconsin defense that has been so good all year and so consistent for the most part outside of a couple of big games and obviously the Illinois game, you really have to look at, Justin Herbert to be the reason why Oregon wins or loses this ball game. I don't think Oregon's going to be able to stop Jonathan Taylor. Um, I think that they're going to have a tough time stopping that running game. Um, they did a good job against Zach Moss, but this is a completely different beast in my personal opinion. Um, I'm going to go with Wisconsin. Um, it was it was a toss-up for me, uh, but I just trust Wisconsin's defense to really make Justin Herbert work for what he for what he can get. And I don't think Oregon's going to have a fun time of it. Wisconsin walks away with the victory. All right. Going over to the last game of the day here that we're going to talk about the sugar bowl. I mean, this was our big episode too. This was, we covered the majority of the bowls in this one. Uh, next week's show. It's I think one, two, three, four, five, five regular bowl games. And then the six being the national title game that we'll talk about a little bit. But um, the Sugar Bowl, your team here, Baylor versus Georgia. Now, if there's another game that I feel like that could go Cheez-It Bowl 2018, <laughs> it, it would wow. be the Sugar Bowl. Uh, Georgia favored by 6.5 points here. 41.5 is the over. Uh, Georgia's offense obviously not been fantastic the whole year. And Baylor down to their third-string quarterback, it seems. I, I haven't heard much about Charlie Brewer potentially coming back and playing or not. But I think Georgia wins this game, uh, but I got uh, 41 and a half is low, but I think I'd still take the under. I think this is like a 21-10 type of a game, Nick. Wow. Uh, how do you see Georgia and Baylor <laughs> playing out? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. This this game has not uh, – it's been pretty uh, disrespected by <laughs> by a lot of folks, and, and, and I get it. I mean, it's, it's – uh, Georgia has not been – you know, they have not played – uh, to, to borrow a term from another sport, they have not played beautiful football, and uh, that's understandable. And, and uh, if you're a Georgia fan, you're hoping maybe this is an opportunity to sort of get a, a bit of a restart and put together a strong offensive performance to, to carry over into 2020. But it's not really a great matchup for that because Baylor uh, has been solid defensively and they're certainly far from perfect. I mean, no big 12 defense ranks in the top 30 and in, in pretty much any major statistical category, uh, or at least as far as, you know, yards per play allowed and things like that. But Baylor does have a lot of talent. They have a, a consensus all-American pass rusher in James Lynch, who's been uh, so much fun to watch. They've got some incredibly athletic uh, defensive backs um, and really every, you know, at every level, they've got an all conference uh, level type guy, a linebacker, Terrell Bernard has been there and the secondary Graylin Arnold, Chris Miller, uh, both of, of which have done some really good things. And in addition to Lynch up front, Bravion Roy 
330-pound nose tackle is is a lot of fun to watch. So Georgia will have its hands full. The offensive line, I know at least one uh, starter that is declared of the two uh, offensive line starters that have declared, uh, one is certainly sitting out uh, the bowl game. I believe that's Andrew Thomas, who's most likely going to be like a top 10 pick kind of guy. Isaiah Wilson, the right tackle, uh, I, I'm not sure if he has said officially whether or not he will play, but then Ben Cleveland, the right guard, is is uh, academically ineligible and will sit out this game. So Georgia is going to be uh, perhaps at a uh, disadvantage up front, um, and we know that uh, the wide receiver Lawrence Cager is is out. Dominic Blaylock, unfortunately, suffered an ACL injury in the SEC championship game. He is out. So uh, even you know Georgia is as uh, and, and then DeAndre Swift is still, you know, not 100%, I don't believe. He is expected to play in this game and then probably will uh, turn pro, though he has not made that official. Um, but, uh, you know, Georgia has struggled, certainly, offensively. Uh, and, and even, you know, they're, they're going to be not full strength uh, even to that, to that level. So that's a concern if you're a Georgia fan. Um, but, you know, there, there is reason to hope. I mean, this defense, Georgia defense has, has been solid almost all year. They certainly uh, had a rough day against LSU, but who hasn't? Uh, but uh, Baylor is also banged up. Charlie Brewer, I know, did not practice at the beginning of bowl practices. I haven't heard uh, really an update since. Hopefully he'll be able to, to get back and uh, be uh, fully healthy and, and play in in this game and certainly even if not uh he is a junior so hopefully he'll be back to back to normal for 2020 but uh uh this is a solid co- you know culmination of, of two strong seasons two 11 win teams uh who are deserving of, of some pretty lofty uh rankings so uh hopefully the the performance on the field will uh raise to the level uh to to hopefully make some people uh sad that they talked Talk down about this game. I, I, Sugar Bowl holds a <laughs> holds a, a, a place in my heart. I've been able to uh, see it in in uh, New Orleans uh, once, which was a lot of fun, and then in Atlanta of all places. Uh, unfortunately, after Hurricane Katrina, so uh, do like the Sugar Bowl and and uh, hope that uh, the game is uh, fun for everybody to watch. But uh, we do expect Georgia to win and, and cover just barely. We've got it uh, a little bit higher scoring probably than most, uh, 28-21. Bulldogs probably going to win this one, right, Xavier? Yeah, but I think the defense is going to score more points than the offense. Uh, <laughs> so um, I, I think the defense scores 14. The offense puts up 10 in the game in 24-7. to 7. Uh, I think Georgia – defense is going to have a field day with the fact that they don't have their starting quarterback or their second string quarterback at this point. Um, I think this is going to be fun to watch from a, and I'm going to take Nick's term now, a 2020 standpoint, because we're going to get to see what Georgia's offensive line will look like next year um, against a Baylor defensive front that has been formidable all year. Um, And if I'm not mistaken, Nick, you did say that they led the conference in sacks a couple of weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken. Um, So I'm looking, so I'm looking forward to seeing how this, you know, the, the the backups that will be the starters next year uh, perform against a Baylor offensive line that is really good. Uh, excuse me, defensive line that has been really good um, on the offensive end. I'd love to say Jake Fromm is going to go out there and show us all why uh, we should be confident if he decides to return next season. But I'm not going to say that because I'm not irrational. Uh, so um, <laughs> Georgia gets the job done um, in New Orleans. Um, so 
Uh, I, I like the dogs in this one. I think if Charlie Brewer was playing for Baylor, I think this game would be a lot closer and maybe a lot more fun for that matter. Uh, but with them having uh, just, just you know, a third-string quarterback in the first big game and you're going up against Georgia's defense of all defenses to go up against, that's not going to be fun for him. So I see the dogs walking away with this one. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for us. Uh, th- thank you if you've held on. This long, the end of this. I mean, obviously, you you can break up this show into multiple listens. This is one of our longer ones. We knew it was going to go long, though. We planned for it. Uh, that is why. I mean, we covered twenty four bowls, so I promise Ooh. we'll be quicker recapping them next week. But uh, but I hope you guys enjoy it. Have a happy holidays. You can find find us all on the Twitter at Bogman Sports at CFB Winning Edge and at Xavier underscore Trish T R I C H E Nick. Before we leave, tell everybody about the CFB Winning Edge Patreon. Absolutely. So uh, obviously, uh, we go into great detail <laughs> in a lot of in a lot of ways, and, and that's what we hope to provide our patrons as well. If uh, if you're interested, you know, in, in looking at uh, who's going to sit out a bowl game because of uh, an injury or because of their declaring for uh, the NFL draft, or even as we mentioned there. Uh, with uh, Georgia, unfortunately, to an academic issue. You know, we try to keep track of that as much as we possibly can, and and all of that is reflected in our uh, FBS team profiles. And I'm currently going through and uh, trying to update all of that information for 2020. Uh, that's why it's been on my mind so much. So little by little, going through and updating all the games played, game starts, uh, making sure all of our Depth charts are as close to perfect as they can possibly be uh, to put a, a, an exclamation point on the end of 2019. And then uh, I've already started the 2020 team profiles, and those will be available to our patrons in February. Uh, but little by little, working and, and updating, uh, you know, taking guys off the roster and all that. So those are available to our Tier 2 patrons uh if you're interested in joining us that's uh patreon.com slash cfb winning edge sign up as a tier two patron you'll get access to all of that 2019 information and then our goal is to get 2020 out uh sooner than you can get it really anywhere else so uh if you're interested in in that level of detail that we provide and if you want to help speed things up because the more uh support that we get uh, monetary support helps uh, bring on uh, some extra helping hands to help update that information for 2020. So if you're interested, uh, please do check us out. And thank you very much to everybody that supported us all year. Uh, we've seen a lot of growth and uh, really, really excited. Uh, very thankful for, for uh, the support this year and excited about the future as well. All right. We will see you guys in 2020. Enjoy your holidays, Christmas, and New Year, and all that stuff, and we will see you guys later. Take it easy, everybody.